No, no, don't let that happen. This is Hypercritical, a talk show ruminating on exactly what is wrong in the world of Apple and related technologies and businesses. Nothing is so perfect that it can't be complained about by my friend and yours, John Syracusa. I am Dan Benjamin. Today is Friday, December 21st, 2012. This is our 99th and second to last episode of all time. We would like to say thank you very much to our sponsors, Hover.com, SourceBits.com, and Shutterstock.com. Tell you all about them as the show continues. We would also like to say thank you very much to our bandwidth sponsor who's been with us all for the month of December. It's Igloo, your digital workplace. That means you can give updates, have discussions, and share files with your team all in one place. Sign up and get started at igloosoftware.com slash 5 by 5 right, Do you have any uh, opening opening statements about the t-shirt before we begin the show proper? Ah, yes, that's right. We do have uh, an update here about the, the t-shirt. So if you remember last week on episode uh, number 98, uh, we did a, uh, we did a uh, poll, a hypercritical t-shirt poll. And uh, I'm going to go in and close the poll right now. But we have results uh, from this poll. We asked the listeners on the show, we said, what, uh, what kind of uh, T-shirt would you want? Would you want a T-shirt for Hypercritical that, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that has uh, just the word or, you know, the, the stylized text Hypercritical on it? That was one choice. Another choice was it could, uh, it could just, it could have the, there are many things wrong with this shirt text and your avatar on it. And then the uh, final choice was your avatar with uh, hyper, the word, just hyper, the word hypercritical on it. We had 3,330 votes and I'm now, uh, I'm now turning it off. It is off now. So voting is closed. Of those 3,330 votes, uh, 1,661 voted for just hypercritical. That's 49.88%. 1,315 voted for the Syracuse avatar, plus there are many things wrong with the shirt at 39.49%. And closing it out, 10.63% voted for Syracuse avatar plus the word hypercritical, 354 votes there. So the clear winner, as you, I believe you predicted, and we we both uh, thought would happen, just hypercritical, far and away, the winner. So if it, again, you, you get final choice here, but that sounds like uh, what's going to happen. That sounds like the the winner. That sounds like where we're going with this. Yeah, unless you're going to make two shirts, the no. the, the one to pick. And uh, people have pointed out that it's not a majority. It was only you know forty nine percent. And then other people who are who didn't want just that shirt said, well, if you combine the other two items, uh, it makes uh, a larger percentage than the forty nine. So that shows that people at least want an avatar because the other two items have an avatar and the one that one doesn't. But uh, that doesn't make any sense because if you combine the first and third choices, you can say, see, people want the word hypercritical and, they, and that combination becomes the majority. So anyway, uh, we're not going to have 18 polls and runoff elections or whatever. Uh, it seems like if you wanted to get everybody, you can make the top two shirts. But if you want to get the most people and just make one shirt, it's got to be the one that got the most votes, right? So there you have it. So the one with the most votes wins. Yep. And uh, we will produce this shirt. We need to figure out a color. 
that's a, mm, inconsequential to me. And a font. I mean, like, I don't know if they can exactly match the. No, the of course green. they can. We we will create the art. So I will. I mean, like the color the color of the shirt itself, not the, the art on it. Like you know, like the because the uh, what do you call it? The cover art for the show. What yeah. would you call that? Yeah. Whatever color green that is, like that with white text on it, seems like it would look good or whatever. But yeah, just you know, once you have some uh, design, just send it my way, and I will give it a thumbs up or thumbs down. But there's not much room for variation. <laughs> And what we're going to do in the past, the last time that I did that I did shirts, I did a run of five by five shirts. And in addition, we did the back to work, uh, the back to work. That's fine for Merlin shirt. But logistically figuring out and separating out because, I, you know, you, you will you will get profits from this shirt. You're going to you're, you stand to make some money here. You might you might even uh, you might even be able to quit your job. Mm-hmm. But uh, these shirts you you will profit from them so it was it was a logistical nightmare to separate the two different shirts because just the way the systems are set up and splitting it out so we're, these are we're just going to be doing hypercritical shirts and uh Hattie and I will be packaging the shirts ourselves there you go by hand you're going to put like a mint into each one uh a mint maybe a sticker for some people, like if we know who you are, if we recognize your name from the chat room or something, maybe you get a sticker. I'm just saying. All right. That's it. Shirt update. Poll closed. Okay. Uh, and I hope everyone I hope everyone who answered the poll buys a shirt. This is the danger is that people really want to vote in a poll, but don't want to buy a shirt. Uh, obviously, I don't expect the people who voted for the other shirts to buy the shirt that they didn't vote for, but surely the people who voted for the shirt... Now that they're going to get it, I hope they buy it. I do too. Yeah. All right. Some follow up uh, a little bit before we begin our Wii U topic for the day. Uh, first, a com- most common piece of follow up from last week is everyone wanted to tell me about Command L in iTunes, which brings you to the currently playing track. Uh, uh, last week, we were talking about iTunes 11. The point I was trying and apparently failing to make was about hidden state and making the ui simpler than the functionality of the app so let me give you one more brief try here i think i think i've got it this time to clarify what it is i'm talking about uh there's just one play pause stop button like the big circle button on on itunes the old version Mm -hmm. and like the center button on the new version there's just one of those buttons right Uh, when you select a track in the interface that button may or may not apply to the thing you just selected depending on one of those pieces of hidden state so the functionality of the app is more complicated. It should really have, not that I'm saying it should have more than one button, but they, there's, there's just one button, but there's more than one thing it could possibly apply to. Uh, and so, and it depends on this thing that you can't see. So internally, it has to ask, okay, uh, all right, so you selected a track. Does that big button apply to the track you just selected? Well, first, it has to ask, is a track currently playing? If the answer to that question is yes, it says, uh, is the track you selected the one that's currently playing? If the answer to that is yes, then make it a pause button and have it apply to the to the track that you just selected. Uh, if the answer is no, then have it be a stop button and have it apply to the track that's not the one that you selected, but rather the track that's currently playing. And backing out one letter, see, I wish I'd have curly braces in the show or, uh, you know, begin, end, or whatever the Ruby people like. <laughs> If it's you not can use, a play, you can use curlies there. Yeah. If if there's not a currently playing track, 
then it's a play button and it does apply to the track you've selected. This is like three level nesting of logic just to explain when I click a track, what does that button apply to and what does it do? So it does different things and it applies to different things, all depending on this piece of hidden state information internal this in, in this internal logic of the application. Uh, would it be more or less confusing to have multiple buttons? Maybe it would be more confusing. I'm not, I'm not proposing a solution to this problem. I'm just saying the way it's set up is the user interface tries to provide this very simple thing. Like they don't want you to have tons of controls in seven different windows and five different things to look at. But then you're just pushing the complexity onto the user to understand, uh, oh, well, when I select this track, what is that middle button going to do? And if you don't think about it, you just reach for it. You're like, oh, I accidentally hit stops and I've lost my playback position and I didn't do what I wanted to do. And it really sort of applied to that thing. So it's not so much about finding the, the currently playing track. It's about the fact that the, when you click on something, that button may or may not apply to the thing that you clicked on, which is not, you know, a simple interface would be like you click on a thing and then you click one of these buttons somewhere else that applies to the thing. And that's not really the case in iTunes. Uh, so, and Command L, I would say, is a symptom of this because it's like, well, we know that we have this multiple state thing. So we want people to be able to quickly go back and do something to this track that's playing so that, you know, because if you go back and pause the track that's playing, then when you go to a different place, now when you select it, the middle button will apply to the track that's playing because you can start playing the new one because you paused the old one. But if you haven't paused the old one, the <laughs> button stops the old one. Ugh, yucky. So uh, that's what I was trying to get at. Not so much that, that iTunes makes it too hard to find the currently playing track, but that iTunes even requires you at all to find the currently playing track because of this mismatch between what the application can do and the simplified interface that they want to present to you. Uh, and related to iTunes 11, many people wanted to point out that my guess for when iTunes 11 might have been released was November 31st, which is not a day. Mm. Uh, that, that reminds me of, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do not know how many days are in months, period, the end. I, I you once I tried to learn thing on, your, like, on your knuckles or whatever. On the knuckles, yeah, I know the knuckle thing, but I forgot the knuckle thing, so forget it. Uh, but this reminds me of, uh, you know, because I don't know these things and because dates are annoying, anyone who's been a programmer for a while is annoyed by dates. Uh, I remember, maybe I told the story already, but I think it was Informix, the oh, IBM-owned database. Yeah, AIX. Uh, and then, no, in, not, and, and not, then, in, then in, uh, that was the follow-up to it, right? Oh, AIX is an operating system. Informix is like their crappy version of Oracle. It's a proprietary oh, database, right. really old. I forget what its origins were. But so it's it a database. AIX? That, uh, I'm sure it did. That's what uh, I used on, I think. Maybe and I'm lots just of crazy. Date, lots of date things, uh, lots of databases have date functions in them because you don't want to do date math. You want to be able to do, you know, select date created plus one day from orders because you don't want to figure out what, you know, the date plus one day is. You want the database to do. It's got some date manipulation libraries. It knows that it's a date stored internally. So you say select date plus one day or something, some sort of syntax that expresses that. Uh, and Informix provided these functions where you could add and subtract units, you just say one day, one year, one week, one month, or whatever. Uh, I don't know if you could do month, but uh, that's a whole other can of worms. Uh, but, but certainly days, if you could do date created plus one day. The problem was that if the date created was April 30th, Informix would gladly add one day to it and come up with April 31st. <laughs> and then it would immediately explode because April 31st isn't a date. So it was the worst of all possible. It's like, why even provide a date library if you're not going to do actual date math? And then when you do the date math wrong, you, the whole query blows up and you, you throws an exception. So... That was maddening. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's why date manipulation library should exist. And maybe I should have used one in my brain when I guessed what day uh, iTunes 11 was released. But alas. All right. Uh, a couple more pieces here. Uh, we speculated about the order of authors on academic publications briefly when discussing a paper about uh, changing programs at runtime. 
And Kieran Healy was the first to provide a nice link for this that I put in the show notes. It's a, an answer on the Academia Stack Exchange that talks about the order of authors on publications. And the short answer is it depends. Of course it depends. So you can read the answer for the longer version and uh, academics can all debate each other about what is the correct method, but it really just depends. Um, all right, one more thing. Last show, I talked about those glasses that invert your vision. Yeah, well, and was, you I said these are the things where if you put you put on these glasses and it inverts your vision and then you were saying that your brain will adjust to having your vision upside down and that you'll be able to function after a short period of time in that way. Yeah, I don't even remember how that topic came up. But anyway, uh, Gordon Shepard wrote in to burst my bubble that apparently th this was a scientific study that was done, but it was done in 1897 <laughs> by George Stratton and it was called Vision Without an Inversion of the Retinal Image. And he wrote about it, experience with the glasses, and said after a while, it seemed right side up to him and everything, which is all well and good, except that, you know, scientists have tried to reproduce that study and none of them have been able to reproduce it. Everyone who tries, and the most recent was in 1999, said eventually you get used to it being upside down, but it never looks right side up to you. So uh, this is one of those things that uh, is too good to be true, it seems like. And although this experiment did exist and gets parroted around in a kind of an urban legend type of thing... It, if people can't reproduce it, then you have to say George Stratton was uh, talking out his butt in 1897. So, bummer there. I like the idea that it would eventually look right side up. Uh, they did say that, you know, they do things where they have glasses that distort uh, your vision by making it look like a funhouse mirror or whatever, and your brain does eventually make that look normal. But really? total inversion, it doesn't, it doesn't account for. Uh, so, oh well. Oh, oh, God, I thought there was only a little bit of follow-up. I guess there's two more semi-big things, right? The, the first one is, I tried to find the Back to Work episode that this refers to, but I couldn't because it was just a minor one-off point. Do you remember the episode when you were talking to Merlin and he mentioned that he was, he said, I'm going to learn the terminal, Dan. I'm going to learn it. He was, he was dedicating himself to trying to learn. Wasn't this a, a relatively recent episode, though? Yeah, it was like one or two episodes ago, but I couldn't find it. But he, but he was saying that he wanted to learn more about that part of the system. Uh, who knows if he's actually going to do it? But anyway... When I heard that, like, so I know what he means when he says that. And I hear this a lot. I'm going to learn the terminal, learning the terminal in Mac OS X. Uh, we all know what that's communicating. It's shorthand, and and it's clear that the idea has been communicated. I've talked in the past, that, you know, writing and speaking or whatever. Regardless of what you're saying, the, the main point is that you're supposed to be communicating something. And if you successfully communicate that idea, then it doesn't really matter so much about how you said it. Like, that's the details. It's better to be successful at communication but not be strictly correct or formal or whatever than the reverse of being correct and formal, but then you don't communicate your idea. Um, but unfortunately, what's also being communicated when you say you want to learn the terminal is the idea that the terminal application is where all the stuff that you want to learn resides. Like that if you deleted terminal.app from your applications folder, that all that stuff is gone. Uh, and I, I'm sure Merlin didn't mean that because he probably knows that's not the case right. but i think that additional piece of communication that you're accidentally sending along by saying learning the terminal is bad and it, and it grates on me <laughs> and so my advice to merlin and others is don't say learn the terminal because if you really want to learn all the stuff that the terminal provides you, you access to you can start by being clearer about communicating what it is that you're actually learning and learn all the words in the vocabulary and everything because i think you know part of the the entry point to learning the Unix velocity in Unix is learning what Unix actually is and how it manifests itself. And the terminal application is very, very far from that. That is merely, a, a, you know, 
a window into that world. It's an application that simulates a character-based input and output device. Uh, remove that application, all that stuff is still there. You haven't removed any of the Unix stuff. It's yeah. So that that is like step zero in understanding Unix is that it's not inside the terminal application. Uh, so don't say learning the terminal. That's my advice for the day. Uh, one more final piece of follow-up here, I think, before we get to the Wii U, which may be long. Um, so Gruber did an article this week called Dropbox colon the linchpin, where he cites an article by Warren Ellis, who describes how he uses his iPad to write. And uh, Gruber says that it's good that people like to use their iPads to get work done. But the scary part is a recurrent theme that he sees whenever he sees someone's story about how they use the iPad is that the Dropbox is the linchpin of the workflow. Like they couldn't get any work done if they didn't have Dropbox. And Gruber says it's scary because Dropbox is outside Apple's control. Uh, and if not for Dropbox, a lot of these people wouldn't even consider using the iPad uh, to work with. And it's scary because Apple's iCloud falls short, uh, iCloud falls short of short of Dropbox. Uh, and I think, I mean, my experience echoes this. If you see someone who uses an iPad, I know in my own iPad usage, Dropbox is a key part of getting stuff done. And if you took away Dropbox from those people, like, I mean, I guess we'd come up with something else that sort of works. But, you know, iCloud does not work the way a lot of people want file management to work. And uh, I would think it would make a lot of people sad. So Gruber concludes by saying, uh, long-time readers know that I seldom opine that Apple should acquire other companies, but Apple should buy Dropbox. All right. Now, the second piece of this is Michael Sai, whose uh, blog is also great and you should read if you don't. He cites Gruber's article and quotes it. He says, that Gruber says that Apple should buy Dropbox. This might be a good move for Apple, but I doubt it would be good for Dropbox users. Uh, and what I thought when I read this, I guess it's third-level commentary, because Gruber's commenting on Warren Ellis, and Sai is commenting on Gruber's commenting on Warren Ellis, is that this is how you can tell that Apple is still no good at network services, and that Apple doesn't really understand them. When the prospect of Apple buying a popular well-implemented network service causes people to fear for that service. That's how you can tell that <laughs> Apple still is not, I mean, as you can say all you want, but oh, it's pretty good and Apple's not as bad as people think or whatever. But if you throw out there, hey, there's a popular service we think Apple's buying and everybody goes, no, no, don't let that happen. Until, until that changes, that's a bad sign for Apple. Because we say, oh, they'll just screw it up. Or they'll just make it Apple only. And that's a way, another way that Apple doesn't get it. A network service is made much less valuable when you can only use it with one brand of device. And so nobody wants Apple to buy Dropbox because it's like, don't put Apple anywhere near my Dropbox. They're going to make it Mac only or iOS only or remove the web interface or just screw it up in some way. And that is the most telling thing I think of about when we stop having that opinion, we will know that Apple has truly turned a corner on network services. And Google understands this philosophy. Like, you know, for all the things you may hate about Google, they they understand this philosophy of like, you know, when they buy a company, they may destroy it and, and ruin all the good things about it, but they don't like confine it just to Android. Like, you know, App, Maps is on iOS, right? They want you to be able to get to your Gmail from anywhere. They're not saying, okay, well, we can provide the best integration if we only allowed you to access Gmail from Android devices. No, that's not how, that's not how it works. They understand the value of network services. They got to be available everywhere, work everywhere, all that stuff. So, uh, that's something to watch for in the coming years. The, the next time, uh, you know, Apple is going to buy some popular network service, 
look at people's reactions and see if the fans of that service say, no, don't let Apple buy me. It's kind of, I was trying to think of an example. Like we used to be afraid that Microsoft would buy a company that we liked because that would sort of crush it. And it's kind of the same way we're afraid that Google's ever going to buy like a, a software company that makes applications. Like we didn't want Google to buy Sparrow because, you know, they'd kill it off. All right. So this is the reverse of that. We, so we don't want Google to buy like native applications companies and we don't want Apple to buy network service companies. What if they just owned a portion of it? A portion of what? Of the company. What if they just had some money in it? They were just in that in that way because I feel like if they owned them, let's say they they own a, a minority stake in it, but they still own a stake in it because I think I think even though we know Dropbox is doing really well, like there's always that fear that it could go away, and somehow having like a significant Apple investment in it would make me feel really good. Like, oh, it's never going away now. You know, for a while, there was nothing for Apple really to buy with Dropbox. It was only once uh, native applications started integrating Dropbox into them, like using the Dropbox API for within their applications. That's when Apple really, all right, now you have something. Because Apple could have made what Dropbox made on its own. Like, technically speaking, you know, I mean, Dropbox started as a bunch of Python scripts. And Apple's got good developers. They could have made exactly what Dropbox is. They didn't, though. They didn't want to make that. They wanted to make something different. Uh but at any point until Dropbox started getting integrated into all these apps, Apple could have said, okay, well, you know, this iCloud document container thing is not working out. Let's just make Dropbox. They just don't want to do that. And that makes me wonder why, it, you know, the rumor is that Apple tried to buy Dropbox. Why? Just to eliminate a competitor? Because you could have made something just like back when Apple was supposedly bidding for Dropbox. There's no reason that Apple couldn't have uh, just made that themselves. Right. And it makes me think the only reason they wanted to buy it was just to get it again, remove that distraction from the screen. So no, everybody, let's all just concentrate on uh, iCloud document containers and don't be distracted by the silly Dropbox. But now it's too late. Like applications are written against Dropbox and if Apple bought it, they would have to continue to support the API for at least some period of time. And if they killed it, people would hate them. And it's just, it's too late for that to happen. Like Apple buying or investing in Dropbox doesn't get that, you know, Apple benefits now. Apple is benefiting now from a healthy, independent, thriving Dropbox, even if it is like a thorn in the side of their supposed one true way to do document management mm-hmm. that we all hate. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know how this comes, but the, you know, the time, the time to strike is past. And anyway, apparently Dropbox didn't want to sell because supposedly they had bids from a lot of different people and didn't take any of them. Yeah, they, they have not. They have no interest in selling. And I don't know what they're I mean. The, the one interview that I recall reading with them is that they didn't they don't want to sell for the simple reason that they want to build a big business. I remember being that being one of the quotes is that they were saying their goal is to be a big business. They want to have a cool office. They want to have lots of employees. They want to do amazing things and they don't see an exit through acquisition uh, as a, a path to that. And that makes sense. And guess what? They're they've got a great service. I, in my opinion, they're like the number one service out there for this. And I don't, yeah. I mean, but don't you think their service has like a date stamp on it? Like it's got an expiration date. Do you tell me, what do you mean? Like you think of, think of a company like Dropbox in the eighties or something. I don't know. Maybe you would have to be like some company that sold like disk defragmenting software okay. for DOS or something. And it's like, we sell the best disk defragmenting software and we don't want to sell to anyone else. Cause we're like, and people said, oh, you just got one product. But like, but no, just everybody uses our product. You really need to defrag your disk. And eventually defragging your disk isn't something that regular people do anymore. And like that, that business, that application has expired. That business of selling that one application, it's no longer relevant. Like it didn't become bad, didn't get beat by competitors, just that no one cares about that anymore. And in theory, 
what Dropbox does dealing with network-based files in a folder. Like if Apple had its fantasy way and said, oh, we have a better way to do files and we'll convince the whole world and eventually it will seem barbaric that we ever manually dealt with files in folders, uh, then Dropbox, you know, through no fault of their own except sticking with their one product for too long, like then it's just, oh, well, so much for that and they just fade away. And I feel like a one-product business like Dropbox seems to be has an expiration date on it. It may be a long expiration date. It may be an expiration date after the entire current management is retired or dead, but it exists versus like, I want to build a big company like Apple where in, you know, 30 years it will be doing things unimagined of at the time the company was founded. Uh, you know, basically Dropbox needs to show that it is more than the, I mean, when your company is named after your one product, like where can you go from there? I don't know. Like I'm not saying Dropbox needs to start making like a, a social networking tool with a, image filters, although they haven't recently added that camera crap, but uh, I don't know. I wor- I think Dropbox does have an expiration date on it. I just don't know what that date is. It's not next year, but it's there. Uh, that's it for the follow-up. Okay. First sponsor? Yeah. Hover.com. Simplified domain management. It's my registrar of choice. was before they became a sponsor because I really like how simple they make everything started talking to them and they said, oh, well, you know, we want to sponsor some of your stuff. This is, a, you know, I don't know, six months ago. Maybe it was more than that, actually. And I said, well, it'd be great because I use you guys. What I like about them and what I think you guys will like about them. And you know what? It, this is the thing. John, it's really easy because people like us, we register domain names all the time. And you figure, you know, try something new. We'll try something a little different. We'll try something new once in a while. See how it works. It's just one domain name. Then you'll find uh, you like them so much you want to switch everything over there. And they make that really easy because they, and I just saw somebody tweeted me about this. They make it really easy to do that because they have this domain name transfer valet service. I mean, they're simp- they're, the whole service that they offer is as simple as it could possibly be. They don't upsell you on stuff. They give you free who is privacy. And then if you want, they will handle the entire domain name transfer process for you. For you, like everything. They'll do everything. They don't even charge for it. You just want to register .com, .net, whatever. You can just go and do that. Or you can do more stuff like DNS management, which is built in. They have add-on, which is email hosting and more. And you can use the code DANSENTME. You get 10% off everything that you buy. Hover.com slash DANSENTME supports the show. It supports 5 by 5 and it gives you 10% off. Or you can just enter in the code DANSENTME when you're checking out, like if you're already a customer. So go check them out, hover.com. Slash Dan sent me. People in chat room are complaining there was only 20 minutes of follow-up. Don't worry, guys. The Wii U might take a while, and then after the Wii U, if we have any time left, Dan can ask his questions. Well, I have some questions. There you go. So I think it'll be fine. All right. Today's topic, today's one and only topic, the Wii U. Helpfully provided by Dan now thoroughly play-tested by myself and the rest of my family. Oh, very cool. What are overall overall impressions? Thumbs up, thumbs down. Let's start with that. We end with the overall impressions. You can end with the conclusion. Yeah, but um, there's a lot of people who want to, you know, they want to read that last thing first and then dive in. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if I can give it a thumbs up or thumbs down. See, before I got this thing, I really, you know, like I'm thinking about what I'm going to talk about on the show when I talk about it. I really did not think that I would spend much time or perhaps any time talking about the setup process of the console. But in fact, that is what I'm going to do now for the first part of this. Oh. Surprisingly, the setup process itself 
uh, was a significant part of my experience with this device and not in a good way. Uh, all right. So I think I have a lot of advantages when it comes to setting up electronics. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm an electronic guy. I'm a computer guy. I have a basic understanding of networking. If there's something I can't figure out, I know how to use Google. Like that's all, that's already like a big leg up on most people. Aren't you, when you get to buy an electronics device, don't you sometimes think, man, uh, I can set this up, but if I just threw this to some random person who doesn't know anything about computers, they would struggle yeah, and have to call support. Yeah, they'd never get it. Right. I mean, maybe that's being unfair to them, but basically what I'm saying is I feel like I'm, I'm not a dummy here. Like I know, I know what I'm doing. I have many, many advantages when it comes to setting up devices. Uh, I also have a couple of disadvantages when it comes to setting up devices that other people might not have. First is I have a lot of electronic devices, uh, which means my setup is extremely complex. I don't have just one flat screen TV, and then this is the first thing I'm connecting to it, right? Uh, and the other one, the big one that uh, gets me a lot, is my network is locked down much more than most people's. Maybe foolishly, maybe I'm doing this for no reason, I shouldn't, but you know, like most nerds, it's like, well, okay, i got to turn on the super-duper Wi-Fi security and all that other stuff. Uh, and so these two things combined, I think it should be a wash most of the time. Like I'm good at setting stuff up, but I have, I'm making things harder for myself because of, you know, the way I've had everything set up here and the complexity of my setup. So it should be, it should, you know, even out. Uh, but the, the Wii U setup process conspired to push things over into the negative uh, a little bit more, despite my supposed advantages. Uh, and the first thing is this happens not just in the Wii U, but on a lot of devices. Uh, most things that you can buy that do networking these days prefer to use Wi-Fi for networking. Sometimes they only have Wi-Fi for networking. Like you you rarely see Ethernet ports on things, but a lot of things come with Wi-Fi because who has Ethernet cables running to the back of their TV, you know, except for me, right? But most people don't have <laughs> don't have a gigabit switch sitting in their entertainment center. Right. Uh, so they use Wi-Fi for everything. Uh, and that, that makes perfect sense. And people like Wi-Fi. It's like magic. You just plug in your Blu-ray player and it can magically see Netflix, right? And you didn't, you know, it just it just worked. Uh, and they work hard to make that just work. Uh, and most, you know, most ISPs routers include Wi-Fi. I remember when they started doing that. I'm like, wow, that's going to mean everyone's house. People just assume you have Wi-Fi. Like if you have an ISP, you know, Comcast or Verizon, or whatever, you just, everyone just assumes you also have Wi-Fi in your house because the routers they give you have the little antennas on. Right? You have to go uh, out of your way to, to disable that. Yeah, if you don't want it. Like, so every, that's why all these things come with things. So no one has cables, uh, Ethernet cables running all over the house and Wi-Fi is just, you know, it's user-friendly technology. Uh, but what that means is that during the setup process, most electronic devices want to get on the network and they, a lot of them want to get on the network early in the setup process. Like not like at the end because they, they don't work at all if you don't get on the network. Uh, and my problem when it comes to all these wireless devices is that I do MAC address restriction on my wireless network. Maybe, maybe I'm crazy. Do you do this, Dan, at your home? I, I used to much, much more diligently. I have stopped doing it just because yeah. the hassle of it, just because the hassle. Yeah, now, like, when I think every time I, I run into this, I think, like, why am I bothering to do MAC address restriction? You know, because it's not, like, it's one of those security things, like, look, if someone can crack my WPA2 keys at, or just even just sniffing stuff going on, they can see the MAC addresses, I'm assuming, they can see the MAC addresses flying through the, the wireless air around my house, and they can just take one of them and spoof that MAC address. But my hope still, like, the reason I don't enable it is, like, okay, so fine. They can eventually crack the security and see the MAC address and they can just say, okay, I'm going to make that my MAC address. I'm assuming if they did that, it wouldn't be a good experience for them because I have a device on the network with the same MAC address. And if you have two devices on the network with the same MAC address, both of them are going to get screwed up. So 
the only thing it would be good for is sort of a denial of service attack on whatever device that they steal the MAC address of. They wouldn't have a good experience using my network by spoofing a MAC address that's also being used by an active device on the network. So that's why I keep it there. I think it actually is. I think it actually is a a reasonable way to keep people from stealing my Wi-Fi, basically, because uh, just because they can grab my MAC address and use it does not mean that they can successfully use my network. It will be very frustrating for them, and then they'll stop. Uh, it, it, you know, it would be easier for so I, I think MAC address restrictions are still worthwhile for me. Maybe, maybe not that I'm going to have a lot of follow up on the on the next and final episode, but if someone has some concrete reason why MAC address restrictions just does not help at all, I will consider disabling it. But the point is, right now, I have it enabled. And most of the time, it's not that bad, because how many times the new devices come into the house, right? Uh, you don't have to deal with that much. Uh, but anyway, when I get to that step in any setup process where it says, okay, now it's time for you to get on the network, I need to know the MAC address. So I can go to my little thing and add, you know, add the MAC address for the device I want to add. Uh, and I have yet to see a single device that asks for net access really early, like before the rest of the system is set up, and you can't get out of it, like, you know, it stops you, you know, you can't go to the main menu. I've yet to see a device that does that and tells you or gives you a way to find the MAC address. And I don't understand why they wouldn't do this. Like, all you got to do is give me some way to get to a menu where I can see the MAC address or just put it right there on the screen or have a button with a little eye on it, something <laughs> that lets me see the MAC address. Because otherwise, I'm stuck. Now, I'm sure there are devices out there that do this. It's just I haven't run across any of them. And to be fair, maybe some devices I have do do this, but if they have an Ethernet port, I don't even bother with the wireless. I just plug in the Ethernet, so maybe I never see that process. And the Wii U supposedly has a USB to Ethernet adapter, but I don't have one. I don't have one yet. Maybe I do have one. Uh, but anyway, there I am, and, and any of these devices, including the Wii U, stuck at this step, cannot proceed with this setup process because it says I need to get on the network. And I can't get you on the network because I don't know what your MAC address is. Uh, so, you know, worst case, if I can't continue at all, what I have to do is just go turn off MAC address restriction on my network. And because Apple's stupid routers often require you to reboot every time you change any kind of yeah. setting, then yeah. I knock everyone off the network and people are sad and it's just not a good experience. Uh, but in the case of the Wii U, you know, I eventually got past that process, got it on the network and continued, found the MAC address, put the restriction back on, did all the things. But that's a bad start for the Wii U. Like they always usually think of everything with the setup process. Like, I'm going to make this as easy as possible. And here's a case where I feel like it wouldn't take that much more effort to provide some sort of expert option for me to find the MAC address. You know, put it on the box, put it, you know, because I was anywhere, and somewhere. Then, oh, that, that's me. the kind of thing. It's like you're saying, it's like that goes along with that device forever. It's not like it's not like pro well, printing it on the box. It could change. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's pretty much set in stone. Yeah. And this is a case where, you know, being an expert user is biting me more like a novices <laughs> would have an easier time because right. they have totally unprotected networks and they don't have to worry about any of this. Right. But I'm an expert user. I know what I, I know what I need to know. I know and I know it knows the information that, it, that I need. It just won't give it to me uh, because, it, you know, it wants to do this friendly setup process. Uh all right, so, so with the Wii U, I get it on the network. The next thing it wants me to do is set up a user account. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, this is a case where being an expert user, I think, kind of helped, but kind of freaked me out a little bit because I know about Nintendo's crazy DRM system mm. uh, that they have, where, like, originally with the Wii, I think I mentioned this before, but with, when they originally sold the Wii, they said any game that you buy, like, over the network on the Wii will be tied to that console, not tied to a user account, not tied to you as a customer, but tied to that piece of hardware, which seems crazy to me because it's like, how does that make any sense? Can't you at least tie it to me as a person? You know, as if you got your Wii repaired, they'd have to give you another one and only Nintendo can do the super secret process that transfers your assets to the new console and stuff like that. Uh, so 
I knew going into this thing when it made me wanted me to make a user account. It's like, okay, well now they're going to tie it to an account, which is better. But I also knew that I wanted to bring over all my user information and stuff from the Wii. Uh, and I knew it was this really crazy one-time move-only process for games. Like, you could take things off of the Wii and put them on the Wii U, but you could only do that one time, and they were gone from the Wii when you did that. Why? Because that's that crazy DRM. God forbid you have the, you know, game that you bought in two places at once. Oh, no. What would that mean? Piracy everywhere. Mm. Uh, and I believe there is a move, still not a copy operation, but a move operation for your game data, but, but you can at least copy the game data back. You can't copy the games back. Uh, so I didn't want to set up an account because I, I just wanted all my info from the Wii on here. I don't want to make a new person with a new me and set all this stuff up with a new name and stuff like that. I'm just like, no, I've already got like my own me on the Wii and I've got all this stuff. Uh, I want that onto my Wii. I already know what I want. I want the Wii stuff on my Wii U, but you have no choice. You have to, all right, fine, I'll set up a, set up a, a thing you know, so I can just start using, because you can't get to the part that lets you bring stuff over to the Wii yet. You have to set up an account. And I was like, maybe I'll just call this user temp, right? But then I was afraid I'm going to be stuck with the username temp if I can't delete it. <laughs> yeah, so, I, right. you know, <laughs> I, so I had to give it the, the name John, but I'm like, well, what if it only allows one user with the name John? Then I won't be able to transfer over my thing. Like I'm second guessing everything about this. I know how brain dead their entire system is. And, and the way this should work, the way this should actually work, is when I plug in the Wii U, it should find my Wii on the network and say, hey, I see you have a Wii. Do you want me to set this Wii U up just like your Wii was set up? Right? And it could do this, like, it could do this even before it gets on the network. It could do this with, like, local proprietary <laughs> networking or some other thing. It doesn't even require it to get on the Wi-Fi because Nintendo makes both of the boxes. I mean, they're already making a proprietary Wi-Fi thing to control their gamepad. Like, there's no reason two Nintendo boxes sitting next to each other, both with wireless networking, cannot find each other without access to my network, and then it could ask the other Wii U box, you know, this wouldn't help in my case with the Mac restriction, but it should be able to ask, hey, Wii, I know you're on the Wi-Fi network, can you tell me the setup info and which SSID you're connected to and what the password, like, that's how it should work. It should be like, because you are a Nintendo household, you bring in this new thing and it just, it sets itself up and it should configure everything. It would still be screwed because of the Mac address restriction, you know, because I'm crazy, but, uh, but that's how it should work. There's no reason this can't be done. Uh, and then when it finds the Wii, it should copy over all of my stuff, not move it in a destructive one time. If anything goes wrong during this transfer process, you're screwed type of process that that is incredible. You know, so it should either be a one step or a zero step process, depending on how crazy your network is. But it is not. Uh, so instead, this is what I had to do. Uh, so, again, I'm lucky that I read about this all over the net before I tried it to see what this process was. So I was prepared. So I had that SD card that I knew I would need that was not too big to be read by the Wii U, but big enough to fit all my stuff on it and everything. Uh, so the first thing you do once you get in and it's on your Wi-Fi network and you have your account set up or whatever, uh, is to do a system update. Of course you do, because every time you buy an electronic device now and you plug it in immediately, it needs to have us do a system update, that, which I is was fine. Actually a little, I was a little surprised by that. I guess it's, I guess it shows you how out, 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 out of touch I am with consoles and stuff, because when we, I have one here too. And yeah. that was, you know, the first thing that it makes you do once you're in the network is the system update. And you're saying that's standard. That's a normal. No, it's every, like if you get, a, you know, an Xbox, PS3, especially on launch, especially when it's like, you know, launch day of the thing, because they have to go to manufacturing before the software is done. But software, you know, software is always late, right? It's always more you can do. So they go, the things that they put on the machines in the factory, that's always like, you know, a month old version of the software or whatever. And they, and if on launch, they always have to do that. But yeah, it, and even when even later when you buy one off the shelf, 
that may have been sitting in the back stock room for a couple of weeks or a month or whatever. And there's been a system update since then. So even if it was the current version when it was made in the factory, it's not anymore. So you just expect that uh, to happen, right? So I started the system update and the little progress bar filled in a tiny little bit. And then I just sort of let it sit there. And then I came back in and I noticed the progress bar wasn't moving. It had moved, it had gone like, you know, a couple of millimeters, but it was not moving over like 15 minutes. And, and I started getting paranoid about Wi-Fi reception. Uh, this is despite the fact that my Wii U is on the television entertainment center. That's only one room away from where my actual router is. But uh, in the line of sight between that room and the other is a wall. And in the middle of that wall is my gigantic brick chimney. So I'm like, you know, and also the Wii U is on the far side of my giant metal receiver box, whereas the Wii is on the near side. So now I have the chimney and this big metal box. And I'm like, maybe it's just not getting good Wi-Fi reception from where it is. I'm like, oh, I really need Ethernet because I have the Ethernet switch right like two feet away i could just plug it in but i'm like oh i'm paranoid about the uh the wireless not working because the progress bar isn't moving uh now i had read this story about uh poor ben kuchera who of the penny arcade report who bricked his wii u during the system update because they give you all these dire warnings during the system update do not unplug your Wii. They give you all these messages, and you always read them. You're like, who's going to unplug their thing in the middle of a system update? Who unplugs their things ever? That's just idiotic, right? It seems like messages for dummies, like, you know, the do not eat thing on the silica gel packet inside. You know, come on, who's going to eat these, right? Uh, but Ben, who is not unfamiliar with games, having been a spending his career as a game writer and dealing with consoles out the wazoo, including, you know, dev consoles and stuff like that, uh, you can read the story. I put it in the show notes. Uh, the incredible true story of how I bricked my Wii U. Uh, you can see what he did. Like, it's not he. What he did, anyone could do it. You could forget that what you're actually doing is is turning the thing off because you know he had. I don't know you read about it and see how he got himself into a situation where it wasn't clear to him that the update was still going on, and it wasn't clear to him that he was unplugging it, and and he got into a bad situation. So. I have this bad Wi-Fi reception. I'm like, you know what? If I could just, if I could just get the uh, the Wii U console clear of the big metal receiver box, maybe it would have a better line of sight. I know this is not how wireless works. Please don't write me and tell me that Wi-Fi is not line of sight. I know, I know. I'm just, I'm just thinking the progress bar is not moving. Maybe the signal is not as strong in this location for whatever reason. And maybe if I just pull it out of the entertainment center, it will be clearer. But all the while I'm pulling this thing out, I'm like. Do not brick this thing. Make sure the power cable stays in. Like I'm pulling it forward, <laughs> setting up these little wooden blocks for it to sit on so it's clear. And the second I pull it clear of the, the receiver, the, the progress bar started moving again. I, mm. That could have been totally unrelated. Maybe it was just a stall in their service. Who knows what the heck the problem was. But, you know. But, you know, I, I, saw, I, I mean, if this makes you f- relax a little bit, uh, I, I saw the same exact kind of behavior where it was it had stopped for quite a, a long time and then would start and I didn't touch anything, but who, who knows? Yeah. You can't diagnose it. All you have is the progress bar. So like, I thought maybe wireless was a problem and it, it perhaps fooled me by all of a sudden jumping as soon as I cleared the thing from, and maybe, maybe the Wi-Fi signal strength was a problem. So I don't know. So I managed to keep the power cord in and the progress bar went through and eventually the system update went through. Of course, while it was running, I was Googling around for Wii U ethernet adapters, which apparently exist, but are not, you know, I found like a third party one. I'm like, how could there be a third party USB to Ethernet adapter for the Wii U, but not a first party one? So anyway, I might still look into that. All right. So next, the time to transfer stuff from my Wii, because all I've done now is have an updated system with a user account that I don't want to use. Uh, I want my stuff from my Wii. 
So you have to run this Wii for a transfer, Wii U transfer application, which has really long, very wordy instructions that tries to get you prepared for what you're going to do, which is nice that they're trying to guide you, but bad that they need 17 paragraphs of text to explain a process that you shouldn't be involved in in any way because Nintendo makes both of the boxes. Uh, eventually, it asks you to insert your blank SD card into the Wii U, and then it prepares the card, whatever the heck that means. Uh, maybe formats it, maybe put something on it or whatever, and all the while it's also communicating with the server. So this process is going to involve the Wii, the Wii U, an SD card, and also Nintendo servers. And all those things have to work in concert for this to be pulled off. So it's a lot of moving parts here. Then you have to go onto your Wii, make sure it's got the system update, then go to the Wii Shop Store to download the Wii U transfer application, which is free, but you got to go through that whole thing. And now you have the Wii U transfer application on your Wii, which is confusing because it's Wii U transfer. Anyway. At some point, it wants you to take the SD card out of the Wii U and put it into the Wii. But it does not make it very clear when it's when you're supposed to do that. Like, it should say, it should have like, you know, you go next, next, and you do each step. It should have a thing that says you hit next, and it says, okay, now please take the thing out. But it doesn't. It just leaves you at the end of the current instructions, and you're like, I guess I take it out now? Like, because the, the Wii one says, please insert the SD card, so I guess I have to take And as soon as you take it out of the Wii U, the screen changes to confirm that what you did was the correct thing. But I was so paranoid about screwing this thing up that it was not clear to me that that was going on. And I read those instructions and I read online and I read the instruction manuals. I read everything. I'm making sure that I'm doing the right thing, but it was, you know, I didn't make any mistakes, but it was not for all the text they provided. It was not as clear to me that what I was doing was the right thing, even though it was. Uh, so you put the SD card into the Wii and it copies stuff onto it. There's a cute little Pikmin animation that runs. Uh, but unfortunately, nothing can hide the fact that this copy process takes forever. And I don't know why. Is it because the SD card is slow? Is it because there's lots of data? Is it because it's communicating with a server in between doing each move? Who knows why? But it takes way too long to do this. Uh, and finally, you take the SD card out of the Wii, put it back into the Wii U. Oh, and by the way, when you're doing this, that means, of course, you have to have both the Wii and the Wii U. They don't have to be on at the same time. You can do it so you turn one off and the other. But it's, you know, again, I want to keep them both on because I was paranoid. So that means you have to be controlling both the Wii and the Wii U at the same time. So you have to make sure that you didn't repair all of your Wiimotes with one or the other. That's another issue I'll get into with the, the whole Wiimote sharing thing. All right, so you put the SD card back from your Wii into your Wii U, and you see more Pikmin animations and a more really, really long wait. And at the end of that process, all of your WiiWare games and all of the things that you bought on your Wii are now only on your Wii U. And even though I knew this was going to happen, during the copy how did process... You, how did you know that was going to happen? Because I'd read every okay. article about, you know, I mean, <laughs> research right. ahead of time. Like, you do know, you and it think that the you. regular consumer would would have been? To, does it tell you the process or what? It, it emphasizes in the process that it's going to be a move, not a copy. Like it tells you many, many times, but you, it's kind of like the shrink wrap stuff on software. How mm-hmm. many people are actually going to read that? Like they tell you many, many times. Keep in mind, you know, a if this screws up, you're screwed. They kind of say that, and b this stuff will be gone from your Wii and will only be on your Wii U. And even though I knew that. You know, intellectually, when it was copying, I said, wait a second, you know what? That means that I won't be able to play Mario 64 with a GameCube controller anymore because my Wii is the good one that has the GameCube compatibility. And I like playing the Mario 64 with my GameCube controller. Can't do that anymore because now Mario 64 is only on the Wii U and the Wii U has no way for me to use a GameCube controller. And I don't have a pro controller and I don't think I'm going to like it better than the GameCube controller anyway. Uh, so that was sad, but my solution was just to brute force and say, fine, I will just repurchase Mario 64 on the Wii so I can play with the GameCube controller. So that's what I did. Uh, I'm trying to stop doing that for every game. I like to play with the GameCube controller, but I got to keep Mario 64 around. It's a favorite. Um, so after that was done, the next thing I did was I tried 
uh, Skyward Sword on the Wii U because I wanted to, my son was in the middle of one of his I think his second playthrough of Skyward Sword. I wanted to see can we just like not use the Wii anymore? Like basically pretend the Wii is a GameCube and pretend the Wii U is both a Wii and a Wii U. Can we stop using that for Wii games so that I can pair all my remotes with the Wii U and only leave the uh, the Wii for GameCube stuff? And this gets into something we talked about in the television episode. So you run the Wii application on the Wii U and it turns the Wii U into a Wii. Oh, God, this this, <laughs> this sounds like either foreign language or nonsense words with all this Wii U, Wii stuff. Uh, and you launch the game, but it shows Skyward Sword with a with a black border around the entire screen, top, bottom, left and right. Like it doesn't fill the entire screen. And I realized the reason it's doing this is because I have my HDTV set to, I I don't know what you would call this, like the correct native resolution. Like, you know, HDTV has a certain resolution, whatever it is, 1080 by whatever the other resolution that I can never remember is. That's how many pixels or, you know, picture elements are in the, the image. But most HDTVs come set up so that actually what you're seeing is like it chops off the top, bottom, left, and right borders. Like it tops off, chops off a margin of the image and zooms the rest of the image up a little bit. Uh, I don't know why they do that. Well, actually, I do know why they do that. They do that because the, the legacy of CRTs is that CRTs used to not be able to show that the, the picture around the edge of a cathode ray tube was distorted and bad. And so they would build television sets with a little plastic rim around the edge that would prevent you from even seeing you remember, you remember when you had a tv set like that it was like a tube shaped thing yeah. and it wasn't a rectangle it was kind of like a rounded rectangle right. with bulges yeah you know because the plastic bezel was covering all that stuff up like and so literally it was not a rectangle it was this weird rounded shape there was sometimes picture being shown underneath there but you couldn't see it because it was you know covered up by that plastic bit as televisions eventually became actual rectangles they continued this practice i think they called that was it like the title safe area? Maybe we think something else. But they basically, your television signal back in the CRT days, they would always hide the edges of the screen because they assumed that, that would look crappy. Eventually, display technology advanced to the point where display technology was good enough that the image on the edge of the screen was just fine. And then all you're doing is losing information and scaling things up and making them ugly. So when the Wii U sends out the signal for a Wii game over its HDMI cable. It sends it out just as that little inset image, assuming that the television set is going to take that image and zoom it so that those black borders disappear and the actual image part of the image just touches the edges of the screens. Uh, but I don't want that. I don't want the black border around it. I mean, for burn-in purposes alone, like, why would I want that? And why wouldn't I want it to fill my screen? Just fill my screen up with it. Now, when I'm running it on the Wii, I have it connected with component video, and that's an analog output, and that does fill the screen. Uh, so this upset me because like my television has a setting that can change it. If you, mine on Panasonic's, they call it size one and size two. Size two is like the correct size where you get to see every single pixel of the video signal that you're paying for. And size one says, throw out the top, bottom, left and right sides and zoom the screen slightly, making everything blurry. So that's why I have my television always set to size two and all my inputs. But with this setup, what I would have to do every time my son wanted to play Skyward Sword is train him to and ensure that he does go to the stupid television menu with these super advanced picture settings, which are like nine menus deep, <laughs> and change the thing from size two back to size one. Right. But only when he's playing the Wii games, because when you come back and play the Wii U games, you got to change it to size two. And you can't do different inputs because, you know, it's all the same input. It's all the Wii U. So Skyward Sword on the Wii U out the window, that still has to also be played on the Wii, which means I have to keep at least one motion control remote tied to the, the Wii to play the Wii games. But that was kind of disappointing because I was hoping I could, you know, retire the Wii for everything except for GameCube games, but that is not possible. Uh, so I also copied all of my saved game data back to the Wii. Again, why does it move it? 
when it could copy it, it just does. Game data, game save data can be moved back to the Wii so you can have your Skyward Sword save games back over there so you can play it successfully. You can't transfer back save data for any game that has a network component, like uh, I think like Mario Kart Wii where you can play people over the network uh, because, I don't know, they tie that to your network ID or some stuff like that. You can't tra- transfer that back. So some games, some Wii games, I can now only play in the Wii U. Uh, give a thumbs down to that. <laughs> All right, so finally, now I've got everything over there, including my Mii's and everything. I finally create a new user account associated with the me that I transferred from my Wii because we have me's for the whole family over there. Apparently, I couldn't just reassign the me of the original user I made. I'm pretty sure I tried that. I didn't take good notes on it. But like, I didn't want to assume that, oh, I can make a temporary user and then just change the me associated with it. And I believe that's actually not the case. And I, my paranoia was paid off there. I made a new user, gave it my actual name associated with my actual me. And after I made the new user, it allowed me to delete, delete the old user. So good so far. Uh, then I had to make a, ne- a Nintendo network ID, and I had no idea what the hell that is. <laughs> so back to the manual, back to Google, what the hell is a Nintendo network ID? You know, wh- what is this thing? They give no good explanation for it. And Nintendo's own website, like, has very bad information. They try to explain it in, like, friendly terms. And it's like, no, explain it to me in technical terms. What does this mean, right? So I had to enter an email address, a username. And by the way, every time they want you to enter a username, it says, please enter a username and make sure you don't use any personally identifiable information. And, of course, my username I always use, like, on Twitter and everything is my last name. Right. And so it's like, is that, like, forbidden? Do they not want me to use my last name as my username? Do I have to make up something? I guess it's, like, to protect kids so, that, you know, yeah, stalkers I think because, can't find you. Yeah, because, like, like if, you're, if you're grown up and you're John Syracuse, like, who cares? You know what I mean? Like, oh, that's John Syracuse running around. But I think, I think if you're, like, a little kid... They phrased it not like so much like a suggestion, but like it was a requirement. So I was afraid. I think I ended up just using Syracuse. I actually forget what I picked because I don't think this name comes up much uh, in there. But that I don't I don't I mean, because everyone, what are you going to pick? Like, you know, uh, Duty Head 65, like (laughs) I got to pick something that doesn't have any personally identifying information, not based on any of my names or anywhere I live or anything like that. Uh, So I guess people probably just pick their their names, which is fine. Uh. Then I wanted to add users for, and I made a Nintendo network ID. You know, I mean, I understand that you need to use it to, to play online games and stuff like that. My questions about it were not like, what is a Nintendo network ID? But like, how does it manifest itself in the rest of the system? So when I went to add users for the rest of my family, you know, both my kids and my wife, because we have the little me set up. Uh, my choices were, and this is from memory, I think this is the wording. It was like, add a new user and it says for first time users or something like that. And the other choice was add to an existing Nintendo network ID. And I didn't know what to choose or what the implications were, despite reading the manual, reading all the stuff. Like, would I have to log out every time my son wanted to play if I made a separate account from him? Uh, would separate accounts not share save data or unlockables? Like, uh, you know, on the Wii and on like all past Zelda games and stuff like that, when you play the game, there's like three or five saved game slots. So like one game could be yours and one game could be your son's, right? And that's all the save slots you get. Would those save slots be a new set of save slots mm. for him if we use different network IDs? Or right. would they, you know... If we if I want to play part of the game and unlock things so that he can play them, like if I want to unlock boards on on you know Wii U Mario Kart game and I want my son to see them, do we have to share the same account? Is it even possible to use a single Nintendo network ID with multiple like Wii uh, me account things on here? Would we share funds when I buy things or get a gift certificate? Would he not be able to see them? Would my son need his own credit card or his own email? And like this is what I want to know. What are the implications of this thing? Is it like a Mac OS 10 user account? Is it like uh, Netflix, where you can have one account, but everybody, different people can put things on a queue, or you can have separate queues for 
that's what, you know, maybe regular people don't care and they just do whatever they want, but I didn't know what the right choice was. Uh, I kept reading, and from what I can tell, if I had selected add to an existing Nintendo network ID, I would have disassociated that network ID with the, the me that represented me and associated it with a new one. That's, I didn't try it, but that's as far as I can understand, I think that's what would happen. Uh, very confusing, maybe more confusing to nerds than regular people who wouldn't think about this, but I'm immediately thinking about what the implications of this choice are or how it works. And the wording does not make it clear, nor does any of the help test text. And I even Googled, and you saw a couple people asking the same question, but no good answers. Because I guess the console is too new. All right, so eventually I just decided, look, I'm going to make separate Nintendo network IDs for everyone. So I had to make a username for everyone. And for my kids, I didn't want any personally identifiable information. So it couldn't contain their first or last name or anything about them. So I had to make up names for them, which I got. And they don't even know what those names are because I don't think they would like them. But tough luck, kids. Uh, and a password for each person. And I have to remember their passwords, right? Because you know, not, they're not going to remember their passwords, right? And when I set up my wife's account, which was the second one I did, I had to set up an email for her, which is fine. She's got an email. But when I did the kids, I'm like, well, the kids don't have email addresses because they're too young yet. <laughs> well, they, they kind of do, but they don't actually know about them or use them. Uh, and they don't have credit cards, obviously, right? But when, the first time I set up an account, uh, because it asks for your birth date when you're setting up an account, if you pick a birth date and they determine that that's a child based on the birth date, you then have to prove that you're an adult setting it up. And they do that by charging you 50 cents on your credit card. Like non-refundable, which is fine, whatever. That's your way you can do it. And you just have to do it one time, not once for each kid. Once you've proved that you're an adult setting up the thing, it says fine. Uh, it's very weird and very non-obvious, but I think all this stuff supports the idea that I made the right choice. Because by making a separate Nintendo network ID for them, it's clear that they don't expect everyone with a Nintendo network ID to be an adult. It's clear that they might be a kid. And you just have to prove that as their parent or guardian that you're allowing this to happen. And they don't ask for an email for the kid. They don't require the kid accounts to ha have a credit card. I still don't quite understand what this means about, you know, especially at the point in the setup process. Say I log in as me and buy a game and the, the you know, downloadable game. Uh, do they see it when they log in as them? Like, even though I bought it with my network ID and password, can they play it? Like, all these questions are not answered. I'm assuming the answers will be fine, but it's the uncertainty that bothers me. All right, so I got everyone's account set up. And finally, I said, okay, now, now let me look at all the non-game stuff. Hadn't inserted any game discs. Finally, the system is updated. The accounts are created. The data is transferred. Let me look at all this other stuff that's there. You know, then let me look at the Netflix app. Let me look at their TV control thing. Let me get everything set up. Every time I launch one of those things, the individual applications also want to download an update. I'm like, well, what the hell were you doing when you were doing a system update if you weren't updating like the Netflix app and all the other stuff? Isn't that part of the system software? So each one of those icons that I tapped on, it was like, oh, sorry, you can't launch yet. I have to download an update. And then I go do something else. Uh, the total time it took me to get the system from out of the box, well, no, ignoring the connecting to the television, to get from like, all right, it's all connected to the television, everything is set up, start the clock now, you're turning the system on for the first time. Right. Five hours. Oh, my God. From 8 p.m. to 1 a.m. <laughs> oh, Five man. hours to set this thing. And I'm not, it's not like I'm doing crazy stuff here. All I wanted was like, make it like my Wii was with accounts for everybody. No games played, nothing installed, like just bare bones and transfer the stuff from the Wii. That is not a good first launch experience no I, I can set up a mac pro computer from being in the box in considerably less time than it took me to set this stupid thing up. but a lot to be fair a lot of that time was waiting for the stupid downloads to go and maybe it's because their servers were slow or you know my wi-fi signal was bad but this is not 
This is not a good experience. Did you do you have you, you said you have one and you set it up? I assume your experience was not five hours, probably <laughs> because you're not as obsessed as I am with <laughs> making it look having me's for all your family and making it look like your Wii. No, I mean we I I have a Wii, but that's at home and I set this up at, here at the uh the world headquarters, the five by five world headquarters. So I was not concerned at all about migrating uh anything. I had what what could be described as essentially a vanilla install kind of experience where I set it up plugged it in and let it do its thing downloading. And I think it, you know, the download itself of the update was the long part. And I think that probably took an hour. So for me, it was more like a 90, maybe 120 minute kind of thing, but it's still, it was still a long time. Did you launch any of the other apps? Did you look at the Netflix client or mm. the Hulu client or the Amazon video? Like all, the th- did you launch each one of those? Because each one of those also triggered a download yeah. that update for me. I did, and I saw and I saw my uh, guess at 120 minutes would include the, you know, like the little like, and that was the weird thing was like you're saying it's like you launch something and you think it's just going to be there, but no, then that has to do it. But those were much shorter. Those are like more like a five or ten minute. Yeah, although each of the, like, for the Netflix one, you had to go to the Netflix website and type in this code or go to this URL to confirm that you want this device to be able to, you know, like, just interminable setup. And and in all cases, I feel like, you know, because all this stuff came out of the box, it's not third party, that the Nintendo stuff should be able to set this up themselves. This is not Nintendo's strength. System software is not their strength. Traditionally, they didn't have any system software. You shoved it in a cartridge in your NES, turned it on, the game took over, that was it. There is, you know, and as that becomes less and less the case... Uh, Nintendo's weakness in system software is becoming apparent. All right, so you want to do another sponsor before I continue with this? Because there's so much more. There is more. Okay, Shutterstock.com. You'll find over 20 million stock photos, vectors, illustrations, video clips. Start your search at Shutterstock.com and you will find the perfect image or video. I mean, whatever it is that you're looking for. If you have an ad that you're working on, maybe you're just doing a blog post and you want to do a Christmas blog post and you want to have a little little festive image up there. I mean, where are you going to find this stuff? Legit, you get to, you get to get it from somewhere and they're going to have it. You can do image packs. You can do monthly subscription packages, whatever. You just choose whatever you need. You don't have to compromise. It's more affordable than you think because they don't charge for the extra large sized files. They don't nickel and dime you that way. They, you just download any image in any size and you pay only one price. You can sign up for a free browse account. And you can look around and you can put together these things that are called light boxes which are very cool, cool ways to organize the different images that you find and then you can share those. So if you're collaborating, working with other people, you can share them. You can make them public. Just go to shutterstock.com, no credit card or anything like that. And if you find an image that you want to purchase or a pack of images or a monthly subscription, you just use the code DANSENTME12, DANSENTME12, and you'll get 30% off any package. Go check it out, shutterstock.com. All right, so the setup process, more clear of that now. And really, it is a one-time thing. And maybe, you know, it's like, well, fine, whatever. It's a pain in the butt to do. But everything went fine. And you got through it, and you won't have to do it again. Uh, it's still Blackmark. I'll briefly about the console itself, which really is not, you know, the, I mean, the actual thing that you stick the disc into. Right. Uh, that's not a big deal. It sits under your TV or whatever. Uh, it's a little bit bigger than the Wii console, curved on the sides and stuff. Uh, the noise level seems... I'm going to say lower than the Wii. Uh, hmm. If it's not lower by like measuring in decibels, at least it's a nicer sound, uh, kind of in the philosophy of Apple's thing with their asymmetrical fans, where if it's going to be just as loud, just make it like less irritating. It's almost as if it has a larger diameter fan that's going at lower RPM. I don't know if that's actually the case, but that's the quality of the sound. It's like 
less high pitch, whiny, and obnoxious. And that, that's a trend because I've got a GameCube, uh, a Wii, and a Wii U all connected to my TV. And the GameCube is the most sort of hissy and annoying, and the Wii is a little bit better, and the Wii U is better still. So thumbs up on that. I would like it if it was even quieter, but at least we're making, at least we're going in the right direction, right? Uh, the recess sync button in the front is a little bit hard to press if you don't have good fingernails. Uh, yeah, and even if you do, you're kind of feeling around trying to press it in there. Uh, that's only a problem if, you know, like, well, how often do you sync Wii remotes? But now that I have two devices that want to share and fight over the Wii remotes, and I don't have enough to put four in each one, right? I am now opening the stupid battery doors, you know, taking off the, the Wii remote condom, opening the battery door, pushing that little red button, then going up to the TV, pushing the red button on the little thing. You know, that is not a fun or good process for you know the syncing works fine but it's a pain to resync things from one to the other and it's difficult for the kids to do and they get frustrated if they don't do it right and yeah uh but that's all i have to say about the console itself it's mostly not an issue the slot loading drive is nice and sturdy uh it does not feel cheap uh, unlike the new super slim ps3 with the sliding door and you shove the disc in there that looks and feels cheap uh this feels nice and expensive so the gamepad controller, now that I finally got one of these in my hands, I actually brought it and it's sitting on the desk next to me in case I need to refer to it and or fondle it while speaking. <laughs> uh, although I'm not going to turn, turn it on. Uh, so the screen in the middle of the thing. Uh, the viewing angle is not up to the standards set by the best iOS devices. I guess that's to be expected like because those are, <laughs> iOS devices cost a lot of money and they're, you know, it's a basically a big battery and a screen and a little tiny printed circuit board. So yeah, this is not Forget about Retina. Just in terms of color saturation and viewing angle, this is not up to the standards of, of even an iPod Touch or certainly not an iPad screen, which is fine. I understand it has to be cheap and whatever. Uh, but, like, I don't know. Would I have paid $50 more for a better screen? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Maybe they'll actually improve the screens, like, years later in, in newer versions. Uh, the touch, the screen is, touch screen is pressure sensitive, not capacitive. Uh, I used Palm devices for years, so I was kind of used to pressure sensitive touch. Uh, but of course then iOS came along and I got used to capacitive touch. Uh, uh, for people who don't know capacitive touch, like you don't actually have to press on the glass. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't sense how hard you press. So please stop pressing really hard on your iPads cause it makes me cringe. Uh, <laughs> but pressure sensitive touch, you actually have to press with a certain amount of force and the screen deflects not a lot, but it deflects. And that's how it senses, uh, that you're touching it. But now going back to using a touch screen after using capacitive touch is really weird feeling like, uh, an early example during the setup process is they had like, you know, text for you to read or something on the gamepad screen. And they have this gigantic, like comically big, like brontosaurus scroll thumb. Did you see that in the yes. thing? Like it, it's like a proportional <laughs> scroll thumb that fills up more than half the screen. It's just, it's comically huge. It's like, it, it's like supersized. Uh, and so you see that and you're like, uh, you know, right away, this is weird because it's like, wait, wait, this is a touch screen. Why aren't they using the iOS way where like you don't see a giant scroll thumb on iOS? Like right. the scroll thumb only appears. You you grab the whole page and you drag it. Why don't they do that? Uh, but I kind of see why they don't do that, because when I went to grab the scroll thumb and move it, it was like hit or miss because I'm not used to applying enough pressure, especially when you're sliding your finger. Like you want to put your finger on the scroll thumb and move it down the touch screen. But it's not, you realize you have to apply constant pressure, otherwise it thinks you've stopped pressing the screen because it has no idea that your, your finger is touching the screen unless you press. And so it was kind of like stop, start, or sometimes it would register a tap instead of a drag and, you know, all sorts of fumbling problems like that because you're not used to, and it's uncomfortable to apply pressure like that. And so now I see why they didn't just make you grab the whole region because if you tried to grab the whole region and scroll it, 
if it if you let up pressure and it suddenly interprets what you're doing as a tap, there could be tappable stuff in there like links mm-hmm. or buttons or other things. So they want to give you a dedicated region. Here's where you screw up your scrolling. You screw up your scrolling over here. And eventually, I guess it will train us to apply the right pressure with our fingernail or whatever uh, to to scroll the thing. Uh, but that said, the, the scrolling was surprisingly responsive if you pr- provided enough pressure. Like the, the jitteriness was not because it couldn't keep up with my scrolling. And that was one of my fears from seeing the videos was that they couldn't even get like a scrollable region of text to perform well. That fear was unfounded. The performance in the menus for just scrolling a text area is perfectly fine, very responsive if you apply the right pressure. Uh, and you can also scroll using the analog sticks and the D-pad and stuff, so you don't need to mess with the screen scrolling if you just want to do it with those. It's an advantage that the iOS devices don't have is there's a million other geegaws around the thing. Uh, there's also a stylus. So according to Steve Jobs, Nintendo blew it. Uh, but you know, using using a stylus on a pressure sensitive screen really does take me back to my palm days because that's what it was. You had these little plastic right. stylus things and a pressure sensitive screen, and it's like going back in time. It well, that was actually I did not know. Maybe you know, it just shows how out of the loop I was. I did not know that this thing had a stylus. Period. Until at one point, it's like get the stylus, and I was like, oh, "Why? <laughs> of course, <laughs> it has one day. What does it not have? I, <laughs> I guess it doesn't have like a solar powered <laughs> generator hanging off the end of the thing. I know." And I'm like, oh, I, I guess it has a stylus. That's weird. And I, I, I found that I did not want to use it. Yeah. Well, you know, it makes some sense because some parts of the interface in the system uh, allow you to draw pictures. You, you know, you can draw pictures to yourself that you see in the Miiverse and Nintendo Land and stuff. And drawing pictures, you do not want to draw with your finger on a pressure sensitive no, screen. Let no, me no. tell you. And uh, the stylus is perfect for that. Uh, so it totally makes sense that there's a stylus in there for for the drawing type activities. And you know, the thing is so big, and they got every other thing. Well, why the heck not? Uh, one problem with the stylus, we already almost lost it. Like in the first day we had it, it's like, oh, where's yeah. the stylus, right? Because the kids take it out and they use it because it is actually used in gameplay, which I'll get to in a little bit. They do sell uh, these though in like Target and wherever else. They're not too expensive. Yeah, so I, I felt like, you know, the thing should come out of the box with like a packet of 17 of these little cheap plastic. It's just a little stick of plastic. So yeah. I, I now should just go out and buy them. I should just preemptively buy a whole pack of them, just assume they're going to be lost. And I prefer them to be lost than to have it attached with the string, which is something like the leap pad does for little kids, but they attach the stylus with the string. That is terrible because the string is always in the way. And ugh. yeah, so I would prefer to lose it than to have it attached by a string, but this, they will get lost. Uh, so next up are the analog sticks on these things. The analog sticks, there's two of them, one on the, one on the right and left side of the gamepad controller. I hope everyone is from the past shows knows what the gamepad controller is. I'm not going to, you know, go back and re-describe the thing. But uh, now that I have it in my hands, we're just going to the details. So if you don't know what I'm talking about and don't understand what I'm talking about with a screen and a stylus and sticks, just look up Wii U gamepad and you will find it. Uh, the analog sticks are commendably tight. Uh, very little slop. Slop is like when you, there's a dead spot in the center where you can move the stick in a certain direction and nothing happens yet because you haven't actually sent a, new, a signal to the console all you're doing is moving in an empty space between like the lever that controls the little thingy so these things feel super tight as they should out of the box but they feel very very tight uh, and when i was noting that tightness it when i was first using the thing and playing with it it made me think about oh my god what the heck am i going to do if they start to loosen up because you know the, the, my original gamecube controller the one that came with my original purple gamecube has a huge amount of slop in it. Like, there's a gigantic dead zone all around the center point of that thing because, you know, the plastic internal parts or whatever wear out from just years and years of abuse. Especially if you have Super Smash Brothers with a GameCube, you will destroy your analog sticks. <laughs> uh, so, over the years, I've purchased many new GameCube controllers, and I'm, I'm purchasing not because the old ones broke, but because I want a tighter stick. Lots of innuendo in the show. Uh, I mean, you can't play Monkey Ball with, with, with a loose analog stick. You just can't. It needs to be tight. 
<laughs> so if the analog sticks on the gamepad start to loosen up after you, what do I have to do? Do I have to buy like a new gamepad for $85 or whatever it costs? I don't want to, you know, that's, I don't want to have to buy a whole new gamepad. In the iFixit teardown, they showed that the internal parts are easily replaceable. So maybe there'll be like aftermarket things where I can buy new analog sticks, but I'm not looking forward to the day that the analog sticks loosen up in this gamepad. Maybe they've made a breakthrough in technology and they won't loosen up and they're made of like adamantium internally or something. I don't know, but I feel like Super Smash Brothers for the Wii U or for any console can destroy any analog stick with enough uh, usage. Uh, so anyway, the sticks themselves are a lot like the analog sticks on the Wii Nunchuck. Uh, and, and there's no octagonal surround, as I already complained about. Uh, so I'm sad about that. Uh, and, and if you really pay attention when you're first just flicking around the pads, you'll notice that there's this... Tell me if you notice this. Uh, maybe just me. There's this tiny sticky sensation and sound just off-center. So if you move the stick just a little bit in any direction, you hear this little sound, almost like a sticker is being partially peeled off a surface, like, right? You feel, and you also feel a little hitch. Uh, and that sensation, which is weird, is giving you a clue. It, it's, that sensation is part of the mechanism that allows both sticks to be pressed inward for an additional input. You can press the sticks in. You can do this, I think, on the Xbox, too. And, and uh, I don't know if you can do it on the PS3. Uh, but anyway... A lot of these makers feel like, well, we can add one more possible button. Just push the stick inward, right? And what you're feeling when you're not pushing the stick inward, but just using a stick as a normal stick, is that little off-center stickiness is the hint that that mechanism exists. I don't think it's an intentional hint, but that's what I'm attributing to it. All right, so here's the problem. I don't mind that sensation, the off-center sensation with the sticky thing, and maybe that'll go away when they loosen up, uh, which I don't want to happen. Actually doing this, actually pressing one or both of the sticks inward to get that press, which some things, some games actually do require this as part of the gameplay, doing that feels and sounds awful. Uh, it, I mean, I, there's no slop. It's not, it's not like, you know, it has slop or anything, but like, because that's the one thing. It's like, if you have a press in, you're like, oh, every time I'm just using the stick as a normal stick, I accidentally press it in, and that feels bad too. But th- that doesn't happen here. But when you press them in, it's like you're cracking the gamepad's knuckles. And, and I'm not a person who's grossed out by knuckle cracking sounds for the most part, but pressing <laughs> downward on those gamepad sticks just feels ugh, it like it gives it just like nails on a chalkboard it just makes me feel icky. And the, the other sensation that comes to mind again, bringing me back to my palm days is the the spine crunching sound that you would get when you took an old palm thing with that big proprietary multi pin port on the bottom. When you put one of those into their dock, do you oh, remember man. doing that? Like cr- you had to do it like on an <laughs> angle and it would like crunch in. That was like a dry crunch with the gamepad pressing in. That is a wet knuckle cracking noise. You should get your have had to get your 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 gamepad controller now. Press that thing and tell me that is not like the mo- the worst sensation that you know intentional. I don't know if it's an intentional sensation, but it's something you're going to feel. And it's not just the sound; it just, it feels like wet and gross and unsatisfying and <laughs> not good. And the bottom line is that it actively discourages me from using the features in the game that required pressing in, like boost the boosting mechanic in the Metroid Blast game in Nintendo Land. I just avoid boosting ever because I don't want to feel that feeling of pressing in. I, you know, I don't like that mechanic in general. I don't like pressing in the sticks for any type of move. I feel like you should be able to use the face buttons and the triggers that are there, especially if it requires fine, you know, analog directional control. I don't want to also have to shove the thing in. But this is just this is icky. Maybe this is a personal thing. You can try it yourself and see if you agree that it is icky. You want me to go get it? Uh, don't you have people to do that? Yes. Can you go get, please, Robin, the... Uh, here's the key. In the, the Do you want me to bring... I have the Pro Controller. You can want to ask me about that. I'll have her get it right now. 
Yeah, you can give me your review okay. of that because I still Both don't have the, one of those. The Wii controller, the, the one with the screen and the other one. Thank you. Hattie's on a plane. So Robin, is, right. Robin is going to get them. There you go. There she goes. So uh, next bit while we wait, the triggers on the thing, triggers in the shoulder buttons, I think they're good. They, they fall under your fingers readily. They're not awkward to hit. They feel good. It's kind of a shame that they are all digital buttons rather than analog, meaning you're either pressing the button or you're not. There's no like halfway, so you can't use it as like a fine-tuned throttle in a, a racing game where you press it impartially. Uh, the, the GameCube controllers, analog trigger buttons were kind of crappy, but the analog triggers on the Xbox controller actually are good and useful, and you can use them for throttles in racing games, but that's not going to happen here because these are just on-off buttons, uh, so it's a shame. But the, the texture on the buttons... Thank you um, very, very it, much, Robin. Oh, you got it now? She has them. Thank you. So, all right. so give, give it a try. First of, all, did, first of all, did I, before I mention this, did you even know that that was a thing you could do with this controller, pressing the analog sticks? No. No, never, never. I mean, you would have eventually known if you played one of the games that instructed you to do it, but it never occurred to you that that was a thing that could be done. So now do it and tell me how it feels. That's it. Do you hear it? I mean, I hear it. I mean, it's not going to sound the same over, you know, over Skype, over It is not... It's not as bad as you're making it out, but it's not It's not good. Maybe you got a defective one. No, I mean, I mean, it's not, you're right. It's not terrible. I'm doing, I'm doing it right now with mine too. It just does not feel good to me. Maybe. No, maybe it's I'm, not. It's not like a, it, it, I get what you mean when you, because I hadn't even tried this. I get what you mean that it feels more like a, like, some, like, like you're, you're, pre, you're pushing the boundaries of the the way that this thing has been affixed in there as opposed to something like it should cracking. be doing. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's yeah. Knuckle cracking, like you're not breaking your fingers or making them do something they're not supposed to do. But on the other hand, it's also like not the normal operation of fingers to be cracking the knuckles. And it makes a similar sound and feels a similar way. Uh, may, you know, I, again, I'd rather have it be this tight and have an icky sound than be loose and annoying me when I'm just using the analog controls. But I find it not satisfying. Uh, and th- that's what the things that make a controller are these fine details. Like uh, I was about to mention before you got the controllers and that the, the, uh, the texture on the shoulder buttons, if you flip it over and look at those, mm-hmm. like it, that's a nice plastic texture. Like it's a matte finish. It looks expensive. Like Marco would, would find it. You know, he can't even answer because he doesn't have a show anymore. Marco <laughs> would, would find this texture of plastic right at home on a BMW console. Like for the, the texture that's on the shoulder button and the trigger buttons. It's a nice matte finish, expensive feeling. And, and, you know, those are the details that make up the great controller. You know, all the little parts that you touch and feel have to feel good. Now, I'm holding the Pro Controller now. Does it do the same thing? The it pressing? does exactly the same thing. It's a little, it's a little uh, cheaper feeling when, when you press it down, but it, it feels like it goes down a little bit more. It, does it feel like the little, the, the squish, like, do you feel like the wet squish or is it or kind of a dry thunk? It is more dry than wet. It's <laughs> like when you're wet. tasting wine. Does it have like cinnamon <laughs> or nutmeg? The connoisseurs of the controller. A bit of a black cherry note I'm getting here. <laughs> and the finish is... Black cherry and horse manure. A little bit of <laughs> a musty. And there's a, a taste of the barnyard in this one. Yeah. Yeah, it, it does not feel as good as the main controller, but it does not feel bad. It looks good. It feels great. The Wii U Pro Controller, it feels great, though. Yeah, I'm going to get one of those and check it out, although I, I don't think it will displace the GameCube. No, I'm sure it won't. So uh, the, the D-pad, speaking of things that feel good, the D-pad on the, the 
gamepad controller after the embarrassing d-pad on the gamecube controller which was the low point in the history of nintendo's d-pads this d-pad on the gamepad controller is great it's really big it's got that nice finish on it it's nicely curved it's a beautiful d-pad maybe people might complain that they want a little dimple in the middle i don't i think it's great the way it is uh and, and you know the material choices overall in the gamepad are really nice. Like that, the glossy finish on the top. I thought maybe that's going to be lame. And of course, you know, glossy black finished plastic is going to show fingerprints, and it does. It shows fingerprints, and it gets all mucky and everything. But like in practice, it doesn't bother me. Like, look, this is a thing you're going to hold in your hand. It's going to get your mucky finger grease all over it. Fine. I think it works. I think having the glossy top with the matte finished buttons and matte finished you know controller things combined with like the non glossy bottom where you grip it, it all it all works out because I want more traction on the bottom but i'm okay for it being slippery on the top in fact it might even be a benefit so i can differentiate by texture the you know the controls and everything uh so i give a thumbs up to to that design the main button area with a b and x and y arranged in a diamond pattern disappointing to me because all the buttons are the same size and they're arranged in a perfectly symmetrical diamond pattern because that looks nice not because that's the best way to put them for your fingers which is a shame uh the buttons are also not in the primary control position but having played several dual stick games with the gamepad controller, I can see why they did that. Like it's, it's much better to have non offset analog sticks than to put the buttons in the primary control position on the right side. Uh, what burns me more is the pro controller does the same thing. You've got in front of you, it also doesn't have the buttons in the primary position. It's like, you got to do that with both of them. You know, I, I can only hope that the next real Mario or Zelda game, like not the 2d ones or anything will use the Wii remote and the nunchuck or something. So I don't have to play an 80 hour game with my left thumb uh, three inches higher than my right thumb because they're offset, you know, that, that may upset me. But for now, I understand why they did it the way they did it. And it makes sense with the, the games that I played on the gamepad. Uh, gripping the gamepad controller, it's got a minor case of Dreamcast syndrome, Dreamcast controller syndrome. Uh, Dreamcast had a, a controller where the sides were straight and you sort of put your fingers under little ridges on the side. That's very much like the gamepad, only it's much wider. And the sides of the gamepad are exactly perpendicular to the front and back. I mean, it's curved. It's got curved, you know, corners and everything. But it's a rectangle shape. Uh, and that's also mostly true of the GameCube controller. The GameCube controller doesn't sp- uh, flare out in the same way that the PS3 controller's horns do. Uh, but the design of the GameCube controller with the actual little horn nubby things is such that your arm can still come in from an angle and you can con- comfortably grip the thing using the little horns. You don't have to make, like, for example, your the line from your elbow to your wrists you don't have to make two parallel lines, like go like a you know Tyrannosaurus Rex, where you pinch your elbows together so they're <laughs> so that your elbows are two inches apart because so your hands can be two inches apart. You go come in from an angle, right? Well, if you try to come in from an angle on the gamepad controller, it feels awkward because all you've got is that little rib ridge on the bottom to uh, put your fingers underneath. So it forces your hands to start to become parallel with the edges of the gamepad, which means that you have lots of wrist deflection. This would much be, be much better with a diagram, but if you're holding your gamepad controller, you can kind of see this, you know. It's hard to keep alignment between your forearms and your wrists. It's hard not to let your hands just go flat to the side and then your arms go out at an angle. And that's very bad if you have RSI or even if you don't to have to make be making constant repeated fine motions of your fingers while your tendons go through a wrist that's bent at an angle. You want you want your wrist to be straight. So you want your arms to come in from an angle from it. So, uh, again, I hope uh, not to use the gamepad in the majority of the time that I use, that I play like my serious games, you know, serious, my, like my real Zelda game that I'm going to play in the thing and the real 3D Mario game that I'm going to play. Maybe I'm just fooling myself and I should just resign myself to the fact that I'm going to be playing Zelda for 80 hours on a, by holding a gamepad, but I will be sad about that because the ergonomics 
are not great. And why the ergonomics not great? There's no reason they couldn't have made this thing some crazy shape that was perfect for gripping onto. But they said, no, we got to make it look like a rectangle. So that's like, you know, I understand why they did it with the Wii Remote. It's supposed to look like a television remote control. At least they curved the bottom of it. That worked out okay for them. There's no reason this thing has to be a rectangle, except for them saying, well, we want it to look kind of like a tablet. I mean, it does. It looks like a leap pad, not, a, not an iPad. But, you know, I wish they would have said, you know what, there's no reason this has to look like a tablet. Make it so that if not, you know, it doesn't have to be adult hands. They make it so that it has handles that, you know, you can grip from an angle and have your hands fall readily on the controls. It doesn't have to look like a tablet at all. And, and in fact, already because it's made kind of like a tablet, frequently, you know, we'll put it down on the couch for a second or put it down on a lap or on a pillow on someone's lap and it will accidentally activate the left or right shoulder buttons causing the screen to jump and then you know the kids are confused about why the screen keeps changing and they're not touching it it's because they're activating the shoulder buttons because the shoulder buttons you know touch the ground when you put it down because it's made kind of like a flat tray so i do wish that they had made it much uglier looking and weird looking but it was more comfortable to hold than than it is but what can you do uh, video lag, once you turn the thing on, like if you use a game that shows the same image on the TV screen as on right. the regular screen. Yeah, what did that, I was very curious to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, remember the video that I think I put in the show notes of showing some guy, like showing it was like 17 frames of lag between like it was, you know, right. we, lear- we learned that the game pad gets its signal one sixtieth of a second later than the tele- the back of the television set gets that same signal. But then we also learn from that video that many television sets introduce tremendous delays, and that causes it to look like the gamepad is actually way, way ahead of the television, because the television, even though it got its signal first, it had to be processed through all these different steps, and by the time it gets displayed, the gamepad is way ahead. Uh, in my setup, with my television set into like you know the game mode that supposedly removes all the processing and everything, I have like a custom game mode that tweaks the color settings so they're not hideous by the way if you have game mode for your television don't just set it to game mode because game mode always cranks up the saturation and brightness to insane levels and makes everything look cartoonish try to actually adjust the color balance but also try to disable all of the noise filtering stuff that uh, slows down your processing so what i did was play the new super mario brothers u which mirrors the screen in both locations and hold the thing out in front of me and see if i could detect visually any difference between what i see on the tv screen and what i see on the gamepad screen and i could not I couldn't tell if one was ahead or they, they look, it looked exactly dead on. Maybe it's because my television introduces a 1 of a second delay and now they're exactly in sync or maybe it's because I can't detect a 1 of a second delay. But suffice it to say that it is a non-issue with my setup. It is uh, perfectly supported. Someone asked in the chat room if my TV has THX mode. It does. I don't know how that helps me though because uh, THX mode still leaves some processing on, I believe. Uh, so system menus and stuff I'm also going to skip these because they're boring with the Miiverse and all that stuff but suffice it to say that the load times between menu screens is way 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 too long like it's, imagine if you were using iOS and every time you hit the home button it was a 15 second delay before you saw a springboard again like that's what it's like using this thing because it has a home button and you press it and you're like alright come on all right, show, me, show me that screen with all the icons again and you're just staring at it there's no progress bar there's no waiting cursor you're just staring at a thing that says like Wii you're like did it freeze <laughs> Is it dead? No, it's just that's unacceptable, as Lemon Grab would say. I actually did see that episode, Dan. You should be excited about that. I'm thrilled to hear that. I had no idea that you had just seen that. I, I made a season pass for it, but I thought the kids might like it, and I showed it to them, and they did not like it. But one of the huh. episodes they watched was uh, unacceptable. Huh. Well, yeah, I, and I, I don't understand why these menus are so slow because this entire thing, like the OS and all those, like you know, the, the equivalent of Springboard, that's all in Flash on the Wii. It's not like there's an optical disc to slow it down. It's not like we're waiting on game load times or seek from some little optical 
you know, laser reading a spinning disk. Why is it so slow? Why does it take so long to go back to the screen? So I really hope system updates improve this. Uh, MindFed in the chat room says supposedly there's already an update to help fix this. I, I believe they can fix it. And it, it amazes me that a company so obsessed with responsiveness in the actual games is so mad at making just, you know, menus that you can travel between. Like it should be instantaneous, you know, but it's not. All right. Uh, so I, I want to talk about the two games that I got uh, and then some overall comments. But do you want to do another sponsor before we do that? Uh, certainly. We can do our third and final sponsor. It's SourceBits.com, a mobile app development house. These guys help you develop and design your next application or game. And they instantly put over 300 dedicated programmers and interface designers behind your project. And they can do that full time. They stand behind the idea that when you focus on brilliant design, your product will become your marketing. And your customers will become your advertising. These guys build applications for iPhone, iPad, Android, BlackBerry, Facebook. I mean, you name it. And they can also build websites and web backends. It's pretty much full shop, full service. And they can integrate all these things. And they have a lot of experience. They've built more than 500 applications for mobile web and desktop platforms. 20 of those have reached the top 10 in global application marketplaces. They know what they're doing. But don't let those numbers of like 300 developers scare you. You can have a very small project and maybe they only need one or two of their developers to build it. But if you want to scale this thing up, you can do that. They know how to do it. You go check these guys out, sourcebits.com. When you're there, click on the work link and you'll see just how many apps they've built. And I guarantee you there's a few of them you've used and probably on your iPhone right now. Go check them out, sourcebits.com. All right. I have two games or my Wii U. I've got Nintendo Land, which came with the console, right. which was really, I think, the only game I needed to get a measure of the system because it is kind of the, uh, that's the purpose of that game. And I also have, what is the full title of this thing? Uh, I can't even find them out. Is it New Super Mario Brothers U? It's got a long, longer title. Yeah, I think, I think that's... I think it should. I'm looking it up right now. Did I just delete everything about New Super Mario Bros. U? Did you delete that? Yeah, I'm looking at my notes. I'm like, maybe I just deleted okay, all the notes. Okay, it is about called it. New Super Mario Brothers U. Oh, there it is. I just can't. And I will put it into the show notes, which, by the way, can be found at 5x5.tv slash hypercritical slash 99. Yeah, that's too much. Like, how long can you put new in front of Super Mario Brothers? And it's because they already had New Super Mario Brothers, like it was like originally on the DS or something. Like, you can't still be new. I why, guess do they need saying, to, why do they need to put new? I think it's because like we stopped making 2D Marios for a while and then they said, you know what, we're going to make more 2D Marios and now it's like the new Super Mario Brothers U to distinction. Uh, I don't know. Anyway. How, wait, wait, so it, there's, there isn't a Super Mario Brothers U by itself no, no, without it's, the new. Yeah, New Super Mario Brothers parenthesized that expression. That indicates, uh-huh, I get that it. indicates the second, to, second run at making 2D Mario games that Nintendo started a couple of years back. Got with. it, okay. And now it's the U version of that. I wondered that. I wondered that. I did, having been out of this for a long time, I, I had no idea. And I thought that they had just were calling it new because, hey, like the Wii U is new. You know? Yeah. It, it, it doesn't make sense. And once again proves that uh, spoken and written languages should have parentheses just like programming languages do because it really helps to... Uh, aid and understanding of uh, precedence. I don't think it's going to catch on, though. All right, so 
Let me start by saying, as you might have noticed, that I am not a fan of 2D Mario games. Yes, you did mention that. You said you don't like side-scrollers in general. You would prefer the 3D-type games. Yeah, not. I mean, not that I think they're terrible and don't like them. And it's certainly, they were, you know, mesmerizing when the NES came out to see the little guy run to the right and jump like it was awesome, right? But once the 3D versions came out, I kind of left those behind. All right, so I enjoyed them when they were the state of the art, but once they weren't, 3D gives me much more of what I wanted from that. Uh, but the reason I got it was that I just really wanted to see... Uh, fi- finally see Mario in high definition. Because it, it was just like, it's been too long. It's a long time in coming. I waited so long. I was so disappointed that the Wii wasn't in high definition. Fi- I just want to see the little guy with the plumber hat and the mustache running in high definition. Uh, and it definitely delivers on that. The new Super Mario Bros. U looks really, really, really good. It doesn't look like a groundbreaking. It looks like what you would expect a 2D Mario game to look like in high definition. But th- really that's really nice. Good. Yeah, the backgrounds are beautiful. Everything is nice and crisp and sharp. And I like how they designed everything. It's not like they didn't go for like dark and edgy or whimsical. It's just straight on, right down the middle, 2D Mario game. That said, I didn't get very far in the game because I stink at it. Uh, And, you know, for the most part, it plays like a traditional 2D Mario game. I don't know if they've ever tweaked the acceleration curves and stuff like that. Certainly they have tweaked the graphics, but it feels the same. That slow buildup that you can move around in the air and all the different moves you can make. And they add extra things with the squirrel suit and all the other spin moves that you can do. It's a little bit, the control is a little bit weird because you can use uh, the Wii remote, but then you have to use it sideways. And I hate using the Wii remote sideways. It is a terrible controller. I'd rather have a, I, I would rather have an actual NES controller than the Wii remote sideways. That tells you how bad in terms of comfort level, the, uh, the Wii remote being sideways, especially if it has the motion pro accessory on it. It's just a mess. Uh, but then you have to like shake it to do a certain effect and you don't want to be shaking the thing while you're trying to do precision platforming. You can use the triggers on the gamepad to do it. So the gamepad is actually a superior controller for this. Uh, one frustrating thing while playing games like this that you can play in either place is that when you choose to play on the television, uh, I, you know, I don't want to be distracted by seeing the same images moving around on the gamepad screen. Right? Like, I mean, I guess I could just say, well, just don't look down there because there's no reason for you to look in there, but it, but it's it's emitting light, right? And if the room is a little bit dark and it changes, you know, it, it, I find it distracting. What I would really like is a simple way to turn off the gamepad screen while playing on the TV. And there is a system-controlled way on the gamepad to turn off the gamepad screen, but every time I try to do that, it turns right back on as soon as I start using the gamepad to control things. I mean, I guess I could put a piece of paper over it or something else to block it, but, you know, I suppose I'll just get used to ignoring it, but I would like... It would be nice if there was, like, a button. There's a, there's a hardware volume control on the gamepad, which is great. I would like a hardware just turn off the screen button, but I guess probably people would accidentally turn off the screen and then not figure out what the heck is going on and think their thing is defective and return it. So, again, I understand why they didn't include it, but it would be nice. Uh, the the two-player aspects, uh, the playing this game with the gamepad, not particularly exciting. The second player can add blocks for the first player. And this is a place where the stylus might come in because you might want to, you're looking at the gamepad screen. All you're seeing is what I also see on the television, but you can tap with the stylus to place blocks for me to jump on uh, or a series of blocks. You can also stun enemies with your stylus and stuff like that. So that's kind of fun, but not that earth shattering. Uh, in, in practice, the most effective use of that skill, at least for this household of people who are not good at uh, 2D Mario games is to just place blocks, preemptively place blocks blocks on top of bottomless pits just in case the person who's playing misses a jump, they'll land on your block. Like, it's not using blocks to help them to get to an out-of-reach area so much as just blocking off the the bottomless pit so if they miss a jump, they'll still survive. Uh, I think there's also a multiplayer mode where multiple people can play Marios at the same time, sort of like the previous new Super Mario Brothers games, but we didn't try that one. And we didn't try that one mostly because 
my son was raised on 3D games and has very meager 2D skills. Like I'm, I'm not good, but I can, you know, clear the first couple levels with no problem. You know, I don't expect to die until I'm, you know, four or five levels in. He couldn't get past the very first level. And this is not someone who's incompetent in games. This is someone who's like, you know, played through uh, Twilight Princess twice and in the process of playing through Skyward Sword twice and uh, also Wind Waker twice as well. Like he's played 80 hour complicated games all the way through to the end. But he just can, has no concept of how, you know, because 2D controls work differently than 3D controls. Uh, and it's just too unforgiving. Like if you miss one jump, you fall into the pit. That's it. Uh, you don't you can't save yourself, you know, and he doesn't he doesn't find it fun enough to continue playing like he almost made it to the end of the first board is like, meh, you know, and then ran out of lives and that was it. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I don't blame him. And I don't. I mean, I didn't try to give him a 2D gaming education because I think 3D games are more fun. So there we have it. Uh, with this game, when I did play on the gamepad only, I did notice a slight softness of the image compared to what it looks like on my fancy schmancy HD TV because it is lower resolution. You know that the gamepad screen is not full 1080p HD resolution, so it does have to be scaled down, and it looks a little bit softer. And part of that is also just that my television screen is higher quality than this not so great LCD screen here in terms of color saturation and response time and all that stuff. Uh, but it's perfectly acceptable. I would be very happy playing game just on the gamepad uh, if it was my only option and I was in the middle of something and people wanted to use the TV. But, you know, I don't really have that problem. I think it's more of an appeal for kids because if you're an adult, no one gets to take the TV away from you except for maybe your wife. Uh, but if you're a kid, grownups are always coming in and saying, all right, well, you know, we want to watch whatever we want to watch and you want to keep playing your game. And so you can on the gamepad controller. And I think that use case actually will come in for, for kids playing things. And it's perfectly fine to play on the device. Although I tested out the range, like how far away from the Wii U can you get with the gamepad oh, right. and still play with the thing. And they kept saying like, oh, it was like 26 feet, but you could actually go like 100 feet. Maybe you can go 100 feet in an empty field. But in my house with walls apparently filled with metal or whatever the heck is going on here, I just go into the next room, just one room over and that's it. Can't get the signal anymore. Like I couldn't even bring, I couldn't even bring the gamepad over to my computer in the other room to look at the Mac address because the screen, and the worst thing about it is that the screen turns off and says, oh, sorry, lost signals to the Wii U. It's like, just leave the previous image on it. It had the, the Mac address that I needed or whatever I needed to copy down. Uh, but yeah, I can't use it in any other room than the room the television is, which is fine. Like this couch is in that room and or whatever, but don't expect that you're going to be able to go three floors up in your house and keep playing your Mario game because you won't. Maybe if your house is more radio transparent than my ancient house, you'll have better luck, but... Uh, I think it probably has very long range as long as there's no obstructions. But once you get obstructions, like the gamepad just says, nope, sorry, lost signal, which makes some kind of sense because it has very stringent latency demands that, you know, to provide the performance that it wants. So it's not like Wi-Fi in the house where if you can just barely get a signal, you know, TCP will just keep retrying and eventually your packets will get through. That's not the same here. It has to be kind of real time. So that's Mario U. Well, that's not the actual, that's what I like to call it because it's less of a mouthful. Uh, Then there's Nintendo Land. Uh, Nintendo Land is trying to fill the role that Wii Sports played, kind of showing what's possible with the system. Because when you get a Wii, it comes with Wii Sports, and it'll be like, oh, you can do this is what you do with it. You wave your arms around like a crazy person, and you can bowl and stuff, right? Uh, and so Nintendo Land is, okay, I got this crazy system with this weird controller with a screen on it. How is this supposed to work? What are you supposed to do? And Mario does not show that off, because Mario is like, oh, it's a Mario game. Have fun, right? It doesn't show off all the millions of ways you can use the thing, but that's the role of Nintendo Land. Uh, but it's very different than Wii Sports in terms of what the game is actually like. So the first big difference is that it is far, far less accessible than Wii Sports was. 
Wii Sports, you know, you'd had some const- instructions that showed like, hold the thing like this. And they'd show like a stick figure saying, roll this way right, or whatever right. before the game started. And you could basically go, yeah, 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 and not pay too much attention. And anyone would be able to quickly figure it out. Like maybe it's because there were analogies in real life, like tennis. You don't have to know how to play tennis. Just swing your hand. It looks kind of like you're swinging a tennis thing. And it would work. And you didn't have to spend time pouring over the instructions and people would pick it up like that. Like, you know, if you've ever been bowling before, maybe it's a little bit tricky to figure out with the B trigger, but you know, some, some gamer person who's there to assist says, Oh no, you hold down B and then you let it go. And once you figure that out, it's natural, but you know, especially things like tennis, perfectly natural, right? Nintendo land games are much more complicated, have much more sophisticated instructions that you actually have to read. Even if you're a gamer, otherwise you won't know what the heck you're doing. Even if you do read them, it's so unnatural. Like, there are interactions that even gamers aren't used to that you just, it takes a while for you to sort of figure it out. So you cannot take grandma, plop her down in front of a Nintendo land game and have her go nuts because it's just, it's too much. I think, uh, too many, too many things moving, too many moving parts, too much that you actually have to read. Uh, and the odds of a first time user correctly guessing how a game works without actually reading and paying attention to the instructions are very, very slim. Like if you say you just skip through the instructions on the Wii game, you could probably figure out tennis without seeing them. But if you skip through the instructions in some of these games, you will have no idea what's going on. You will not have a fun experience. You will not figure it out. Even if you're a gamer, you'll be like, let me try this, this, because sometimes you just you just can't guess what they're trying to make you do because you've never played a game like this before. Uh, and once the controls are understood, it requires, some of the games require substantial gaming experience to effectively use the controls. Like, you may understand how it works, but there's a lot of stuff to do and multiple screens and triggers and sticks and and some people using remotes and where am I looking on the screen and you're supposed to look over there. They try to help you saying like, you know, if you're looking in the wrong place, there'll be a message that says, please look down at the gamepad. And if you're looking at the gamepad, you're not supposed to. It says, please look up at the TV screen. But uh, having to see that message all the time and not understanding what's going on is not good. Like it's hard enough in a split screen game, like, you know, uh, Mario Kart Double Dash on the GameCube or something where you, you know, you play with somebody and you have to tell them you're the upper left corner. Just look over there. Don't look at my guy because they're looking at your guy and think they're doing great when really they're just driving off into the water. Right? right. That's hard enough. Now double the number of screens and some people have a remote control and some people have a game pad and it's just, yeah, it's confusing. And sometimes you have to point the game pad at the TV screen, which people are now also not used to doing. Uh, and, you know, just understanding how control inputs translate into motion in a 3D space is hard enough. Like ignore everything, just have a TV screen and a controller just getting people to understand how to control a little dude in 3D space is hard enough. Now add to that the possibility of moving the controller itself in 3D space, which changes the viewport on the on the gamepad screen, and now figure out how now when I move the analog stick, now that I've moved the gamepad to change the viewport, now what does... It's, it's like another degree of indirection in figuring stuff out. And for gamers, it comes pretty easily. But if you, if you don't, if you have trouble moving around a simple character in 3d space, you are not going to like moving your character around in 3d space while moving the game pad around in 3d space, which changes your view of that space. You want, it will not be good. Right now. It's not an insurmountable barrier by any means. It is just a huge contrast with the amazing accessibility of Wii sports on the Wii, where everyone was, the whole family is happily waving Wii remotes around within five minutes. That will not happen with Nintendo land. Uh, unless your whole family is full of hardcore gamers. Uh, so there, and I think there there will be a longer period of confusion and possibly also frustration with Nintendo Land. And I'm not sure some people, I may not last because if you try to show Aunt Sue how to play Nintendo Land and it's frustrating, she's got like a timer and like three minutes goes by, she's like, nah, you know, not for me, right? It doesn't. If it doesn't become within a certain threshold, then that's it. I don't think this is bad for Nintendo necessarily. I'm just characterizing Nintendo Land is not like Wii Sports. Uh, as for showing what's possible with the system, Nintendo Land does a really good job. Uh, 
because it tries out many, many, many different possibilities. Now, certainly not all of the ones, but it shows the range of what you might be able to do. Unfortunately, many of the possibilities explored uh, don't result in games that I want to play. Like, you know, it's a lot of experiments and some of them are failed experiments. Some of them you might consider cautionary tales. Like, you could do this, but does it make a fun game? Actually, no, it does not. So maybe third-party game makers don't do this because it's not fun. Uh, But I think that's an important role to play, like show all the different things you can do. Uh, The interaction I find most off-putting is any game that requires me to look at the television screen and the gamepad, like interleaved. Look at the television screen now, like while you're playing. Now I have to look at the television screen, now I have to look at the gamepad. Now I have to look at the television screen, back to the gamepad. They use it a lot to heighten tension, where you have to like take your eyes off something briefly to look at the other screen, and you know that when you're taking your eyes off something bad could be happening, but you have to do something (laughs) on the other screen. All the while worried that you're missing some piece of information that's only visible on the screen you're not looking at. That's fine, it does increase tension, but maybe I'm an old man now, but... The, constantly changing your focal distance is not not friendly to old people's right, eyes. Right, you know, it's not, a, looking, not something you look forward to doing. It actually makes you feel tired when you think about doing that. Yeah, and like maybe young people, it's not a big deal to them, but for old people, it is a big deal. It's not comfortable to constantly change your focal distance. It's just not. Uh, so that you know that makes those type of games. You know, I give those a thumb down. Do not make me during real time gameplay switch from one screen to other. It's fine if you want to use it for like an inventory or a map screen where it's like task-based and the game is paused when you're going down to it like that type of thing would be fine but you know real time things caroming in one direction or the other on the screen i don't think what is that word caroming no anyway there's a word that i mean that sounds something like that but it's not that word moving around on the screen uh i don't want to be added added to this to be, be constantly refocusing my eyes it makes me not feel good uh so thumbs down on that oh for me, two types of games worked the best with this setup. The first were the games where the second screen was used to create an imbalance in information, where the person with the gamepad screen could see things and knew things that the people who were looking at television didn't know or mm, vice versa. Right. That works really well because no one has to look from one screen to the other. You either play the whole time looking at the TV or you play the whole time looking at the gamepad. Uh, and that imbalance in information... Uh, it's the same type of imbalance information you have in an online multiplayer game, only every, you can have it with the whole family sitting in the same room, which is great. So there's a whole bunch of multiplayer chase and capture games that use this mechanic, and they are very fun. Uh, surprisingly fun for how simple they are. Some of them are even just on one screen where nothing actually moves. Like, you're just filling your television with one board. looks like a maze. Uh, and that's the whole game. Those are surprisingly fun. Simply done with the imbalance information. The other type of game that was very successful was the time that uses the second screen to allow multiplayer, cooperative, or competitive gameplay without having to split the television screen. And it may not seem like a big deal. It was like, all right, well, we're so used to split screen multiplayer. Who cares? You all fine. So you get your whole screen back to yourself. Is that really that big of a deal? Uh, I think it is, first of all, because I think split screen is very unfriendly. Even experienced players can find themselves accidentally thinking that they are the other side of the screen and forgetting which side they're on and thinking that they're doing great when really they're, you know, driving off into a ditch. Uh, and seeing the full screen for your stuff is good, but also because you can see, you know, again, you can have the imbalance in information for competitive games. You don't want the other person to see that you're sneaking up on him and, you know, GoldenEye or whatever, and now you can actually have that experience. Both of you sitting in the same room, not having to be on PCs or bring in some weird setup or whatever, playing one console system, but having real, true two-player game where you both have the proper, you know, multiplayer experience. Uh now, as a bonus, a lot of these games also track the motion of the gamepad as if it were a viewport into a larger world. So the person who uses the gamepad actually gets a different control experience. 
because it's not, you know, the person who's playing the regular thing maybe has a camera control or something like that, but the person who's playing the gamepad has two analog sticks, but also can just by moving the gamepad controller look in a different direction. Uh, the best games that allowed you to do this type of thing also let you move the camera with one of the analog sticks. And again, this is getting into like expert games where, okay, to change where I'm looking, I can actually, you know, move the gamepad around to be facing a different direction, but I can also move the camera with the thumbstick. And, you know, this this combination of being, this is kind of expert controls, but this combination of being able to change the camera with both the stick and the thing, yeah. that's essential to keep you from ending up facing backwards, basically. Like if you want to turn around and look behind you, like if you don't realize that you can control the camera with thumbsticks, you're going to find yourself sitting on the couch, twisting your body entirely around backwards. Like and it's not comfortable and it's weird, right? So they have to give you, they have to give you a way to combine them. So that may seem like it's bad. It's like, well, so am I supposed to look with the camera? Or should I use a thumbstick? Maybe I'll just, you know, ignore the stupid gamepad crap and I'll just use it the way uh, the way you would normally use it. With you know, I'm used to first person shooters on on a. Uh, a console, so I'm just going to control my camera, control where I'm aiming with with the analog stick. It's fine with me. I don't have to do anything. I'm not going to twist my body around at all, right? And I'm not a fan of first-person aiming with uh, analog sticks like they have in console games. Uh, I find, you know, aiming that way is terrible, and the mouse and keyboard is better, right? Uh, and so when I was using this thing with had camera control in two places, I'm like, oh, well, once I figured that out, why am I ever going to, like, you know, turn my torso to look in a slightly different direction. It seems insane. Why would I just use a thumbstick? Well, the reason you wouldn't is because aiming by, by moving where the game pad is not for the big movements, but for the small fine tune movements yeah. is way more precise and accurate. It's not mouse and keyboard accurate, but it's really close. Yeah. It is so much better than using the stick. And if you don't realize that, cause you're like an old grumpy gamer, like the first <laughs> time you do it, you're like, I don't oh like this. <laughs> I can pick these guys off by just, you know, the small movement. So I use the thumbstick for the gross movements of like, I want to look to my left now. And when I'm aiming, I'm using, and the gamepad and the gyros that we talked about with all those six, you know, six different accelerometers, whatever the heck it was. It is rock solid. It is very responsive. No matter where I point the thing, I have never had to recalibrate or reorient it except for like the, you know, during the game startup, it feels really good. So whatever they did inside this thing to make it sense, it really feels like, you know, I can just move it where I want and it's, very accurate and it feels really good. Like uh, Metroid Blast is the game that combines the most of these things because uh, in Metroid Blast, they give you a warning at the beginning, like this is the Nintendo Land game most geared for advanced players. Like, so they warn you going in, like don't maybe try to get grandma to play Metroid Blast, but it is my favorite game. And I like to play as the the ship. You can play as Samus's ship and you play on the gamepad and you can fly around the level and everyone else is on foot and they either, they divide up the screen if there's more than one of them. And the ship is controlled with both analog sticks with a kind of weird arrangement. One stick makes you get higher and lower, like altitude, and lets you twist the ship left and right. The other stick moves the ship forward and backwards and strafes. I don't know how that... That, that word came from, like, doom, I guess. It really means... Uh, does it, I don't know. I can never decide if strafe is accurate, but everyone who plays first-person games knows what I mean. So the other stick, you know, it translates you laterally without twisting, Right. And so you have two sticks to control a thing in 3D space, and you can pull off some pretty sophisticated maneuvers once you can get your head, wrap your head around the controls. And the aiming is done by positioning the camera with, you know, with the gamepad by looking in one direction or another. I mean, you can also aim by, you know, moving left to right, uh, twisting your ship left to right, but you can also be aiming in a direction that's slightly different from the direction you're traveling. So it's a very complicated control screen, and you can do some pretty amazing things with it. And it's a fun game where, you, you know, it's... All these games are not, it's not like real Metroid. It's supposed to be like you're in an amusement park and you dress up like Metroid and, and you fight against 
animatronic versions of Metroid enemies, which are sort of comical wooden block creations that uh, resemble, you know, that looks like Kraid, but it's not actually Kraid. Uh, that's a fun game. And I like being able to fly around the level and you can pick up the little guys and they can grapple onto you and you can, you know, swoop down and, you know, get power ups for them and drop them off and save people who are injured. And you only lose the game when everyone loses all their, uh, you know, they have a collective health bar for everybody combined. Uh, when my son was playing on his own, he cho- chose to play the uh, Zelda Battle Quest game, which is sort of kind of like the uh, Zelda-fied version of the sword game from Wii Sports Resort, where you don't, you know, it's on rails. They move you for you. you don't You don't control where or how you walk. Right, you can right, only control right. that you stop or go. And you, the gamepad shoots arrows, and the Wii remote uh, fights with the sword. Uh, so Nintendo Land overall... Uh, I would say if you have a Wii U, you should get Nintendo Land, if only to see all the things that, that are possible. And I guarantee you will find at least one or two games that, that are worth the purchase of the thing. Maybe they're not worth 60 bucks. Maybe it would be better if it was like 30 bucks. But if it's a pack-in game, that's why you should get the black one. That's why everyone should get the black one. Uh, I give Nintendo Land a thumbs up. And if you like 2D Marios, I suppose I give New Super Mario Bros. U a, a thumbs up as well. Uh, one frustrating aspect of the gamepad, as we talked about this before, the two to five hour battery life that really does end up being a problem. Uh, it's not so much that a single person is going to play, you know, Wii U for two to five hours because, you know, you hear your mother scolding, oh, you're playing that game for five hours. You got to stop, right? Although that can certainly happen when you have, you know, long running games. That's just something the gamers do is go on those gaming binges, especially gamers who don't have young kids or families because they can actually have them. Have them in, in, in other words, gamers. Yeah, no, I'm a gamer and I have it, right? <laughs> but, but, you know, even in, in the case of my house, well, the kid's running around. Like on that first day we got the thing set up, it wasn't just me playing. Like everyone was taking a turn, right? Everyone gets a turn with the thing. And by the end of the whole family having a turn, you know, two and a half hours, three hours go by and your battery is dead. And, you know, someone still wants to be playing. Uh, And it comes with a charger, like a charging cradle that you can stick it in to charge it. Uh, And the charging cradle is attached with like a detachable cable that you can detach from the cradle and attach directly to the gamepad. So you can, and it comes with like a really long skinny cable so you can be charging it while you're using it. It's like it's clear they realized the battery life was not sufficient. So they needed a way for you to be able to plug it in and continue playing your game. Of course, the cord that it comes with is just a bit too short to reach my couch. Of course it is. It always is. Uh, but it, it's clear that they, they, should, they realized that battery life would be an issue. Uh, and you, know, you remember when we did the we looked at the iFixit Wii U teardown? I put this picture in. Oh, the yeah. show, mm-hmm. so, and they showed that inside the battery compartment on the gamepad... Uh, the rechargeable battery that ships with it barely fills half of the available space in the battery compartment. Uh, and and you're like, why? Why? That's a sin. It's a sin. Yeah, I was trying to figure out why, why they were using it, but having used the gamepad for a while now, I'm no longer so quick to dismiss the idea that it was done for weight-saving purposes. Because I remember in the show, I said, I don't think they did it to save weight, because, like, you know, why would they do that? But, like, you do end up holding this thing up a lot, and it's pretty lightweight the way it is, and maybe doubling the size of the battery would make it, especially for a kid's hands, it's not a big deal for me, but I can imagine a little kid holding this game thing up for two hours. Their arms might get tired. Uh, so... I, I mean, cost was my guess the last time we talked about this. Now, I think it's a combination of cost and weight. Uh, all that said, as soon as someone makes a larger, heavier, higher capacity battery, I'm going to buy one and stick it in this thing because, you know, my arms don't get that tired. Uh, but it is a weird and interesting trade-off. Uh, kind of like in the iPad 3 where you have to, you know, you, you can't get everything. And so they decided to sacrifice battery life for weight and cost uh, and Probably not a good move. Like, if it just double the battery life, and it would be perfectly acceptable the way it is now. 
Uh, the batteries are going to be running out on people, and people are going to be sad. So overall, overall, overall. comments. Uh, I think the Wii U shows a lot of promise. I think the games that are good on the gamepad are really good, and I think they're good in ways that other single-screen consoles can't duplicate, which is that's exactly what Nintendo wants. Uh, they're not as accessible as the as the uh, Wii games were, so maybe it won't make them a mass-market success, but they have successfully made a, a game console capable of things that are fun that the other game consoles can't do, right? I do fear that a lot of my favorite franchise games might be burdened with the bad aspects of gamepad control that I don't like. I don't want to get the next Zelda game and have to constantly be looking from one screen to the other in real-time combat. I will be very upset with that, right? I, in fact, I hope the new Zelda game that comes out in HD does not even use the gamepad except for, like, map management and inventory or something and, like, downtimes. You know, I'd rather... Yeah, that, that's a big fear of mine. It'll, that, no sense worrying about that because it's off in the future. Uh, in the end, I, I have to think that high definition may actually be the Wii U's most important attribute. Like, I was one of the people who said, yeah, the Wii's standard definition, but it's not a big deal, and it, it never really bothered me. Like, I have a PS3 connected to my TV, and I have a Mac, so it's not like I'm unfamiliar with what not, you know high-definition gaming looks like. It's not, I knew what I was missing, but it was, like, not a big deal. Now that I can finally see Nintendo's properties in high-definition, you know, I don't want to go back, ever. We need to just close the door on standard definition and, you know, continue moving forward. And that that it's like a rising tide that lifts all boats. Every game, every genre just becomes way better and better things become possible. They can use smaller text, more details. When you do split screen, it's not as blurry. You right. can see more detail on your split screen. Uh, now that I've seen it, I crave more. Uh, and, and finally, we are kind of, let's enjoy this while it lasts. We are in a, an, an amazing, brief, very brief golden age where Nintendo's console is not embarrassingly underpowered. Because right now, the consoles that you can buy in a store are the, the Wii U, the PS3, and the Xbox 360. And they all have just about comparable power. It's sad that the Wii U is Apple's next generation console, and as soon as the PS4 and Xbox 720, or whatever the hell they call it, come out, then the Wii U will be back to sucking. But at least it's HD, and for right now, we have a brief period of time where everyone is on a level playing field, and Nintendo does not have a wussy console that can't play all the cool modern games that we want. So enjoy it while it lasts, Nintendo fans. So I have, I have to give it an overall thumbs up or down. I give it a thumbs up. There's potential. Potential. Yep. That's your final word. It's my final word on the Wii U. I'm I'm not glad I, I'm very glad that we have it. I I do not regret this non purchase or this gift at all. I, I appreciate it greatly. I look forward to lots more fun with this device. That's that's all you gotta say. That's all that's enough. You know, like it's enough. That's enough. Will you the, will you be permanently retiring your the old Wii? I mean you kinda have to, but I mean, are you happy with that? I have to keep it around because I like to play GameCube games still. Yeah. So, so do my children. Yeah, so you're going to keep it, aren't you? It's, I still have my GameCube hooked up to my TV. I have three generations of Nintendo console hooked up. Like, I guess I won't have a fourth. So when the next one comes out, I'll have to retire the GameCube. But I still want a way to play GameCube games. Like, I can still play Nintendo 64 games if they're available on the Wii's, you know, virtual console thing. So I play Mario 64, but I don't have a Nintendo 64 hooked up. Well, I want to still play Mario Kart Double Dash and the original Monkey Ball. Uh, but I can't play them on the Wii U because it doesn't have a place to put in GameCube ports, you know, so I'll keep them running as long as I can. All right. I wanted, I wanted to have time for your questions, but I didn't. Maybe I'll reserve some time in the final show. 120 minutes. It's great how you get it almost exactly like 100. It's 119 minutes right now. 
figure after almost a hundred of these, Dan, I better, you know, be getting a feel for it. All right. So we have one more of these things left to, to do. This is episode 99. 99. Episode 100 will be the final episode. And that will take place, you know, gather round, join us live. It'll be uh, on the uh, 30th, won't it? Uh, let's see. Is that right? How many 28th. days? 28th. 28th. Yep, it's Friday. 28th. Oh, yeah, that's right. What am I thinking? So you'll be able to join in. Join in with us. John already knows the topic. He already knows the title. The show's already been written. He was written at the I, same I, I time as the know, pilot. I don't know the title. Okay. Someone said that on thinking. The title's already been decided. I thought no. you said that. No, I, I, I have many options for the title. Many suggestions. Many people have suggested things. You've suggested things. Other people. I have, I have a little section of my notes that lists like five possible titles. I just know what the show is going to be about. There, there are many titles like it, but this one is mine. Yeah. So that's it for this week, though. No, you, it has to be the Syracuse County one because you promised oh. one more. The title? Are we going right into the title selection? No, I'm I'm saying for next week because this week you're gonna it's gonna be about something else. You don't know what this week's title is gonna be. We haven't even looked at it yet. And the, also, the bridges I, I, of Syracuse County because it has to be said the bridges of Syracuse County, Syracuse County. That's fine for Buddha. That's fine for John <laughs> Syracuse. What else should I say? Because if I, we don't say it during the show, we can't use it. So I'm trying to think. Oh, no, we, that's the, that's, don't you remember? That's the exception. I don't think you said the Bridges of Syracuse County well, during said the show. Now. Yeah, that's, that rule does not apply for Syracuse County shows because the original one was the exception to the rule. It did not, I allowed it to go through mm. even though it wasn't said on the show. So you don't have to say these things on the show. We will be able to pick titles for this show uh, without regard to what was said on the show and as long Rube, as Rube says that the minds were off by a week if they thought the world was ending for the penultimate episode of Hypercritical. Yeah, well, you know, it's tough to make predictions that far in advance about, about my <laughs> About podcast. your show. Yeah. I think you're just being modest. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So if you would like to, you may see the show notes for this show once again at 5by5.tv slash hypercritical slash 99. You can follow John Syracuse on Twitter Syracusa, S-I-R-A-C-U-S-A. Same thing on alpha.app.net, syracusa.tent.is. And uh, that's it. You can follow me on Damn Dan Dan. I can't even say my name. I'm all, bro- I'm all shaking up. What's wrong, Benjamin? I don't know. Dan Benjamin on Twitter, Dan on Alpha. And we have a Minecraft server, minecraft.5by5.tv. Feel free to join and you can witness the Tower of Syracuse County, the Bridge of Syracuse County, and many other wonderful monuments that have been constructed for you and Marco and Merlin and other folks out there. Uh, so that's it. We'll be back next week. Have a good one, John. You too, man.